All right. Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. And welcome to our Friday evening philosophy. And I'm going to try. I had a little bit more energy and focus earlier in the day. I did a bunch of work. So we'll see how we go tonight. But I'd like to do a long, deep, powerful, penetrating show, the kind of show that's going to show up in a Harlequin romance novel with uh, a young Fabio on the cover flexing his mighty dolphin-like pecs. I don't know. Do dolphin have pecs? I guess they peck at fish. Anyway. So, yeah. Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. If you'd like to help out the show, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. And we're going to start with a caller. Uh, so, normally... We do these shows on Friday nights, the call-in shows, and often I won't really do so much with the video, but tonight we will. Nice to have that kind of video record of what's going on. So I will uh, ask James if you'd like to, and then afterwards we're going to do a Q&A if you want. Uh, bring back the Hawaiian chair cover. Yes, <laughs> it was it was rightly and justly mocked quite considerably. So uh, yeah, James, if you wanted to do our intro, I'm happy to hear. All right. So our caller writes, Hi, Stefan and co. I love the call-in show and can't get enough. I think my problems are on brand, judging by the episodes I've heard so far. I have two problems I'd like to talk about if you think it would be worthwhile. I'll break it into two sections and you can see which is more important or not. It's your rodeo, Haas. Under breaking sex, sex excuse me. Breaking sex addiction. This is probably the more pressing issue in the grand scheme. However, it's not an active daily issue like the soulless job. Here are the cliff notes. My parents divorced when I was four. I was exposed to sex at a very young age. My mother was a sole caregiver and very abusive. This fed into a constant and persistent search for sex, and I have done some things I'm very ashamed of as a result. I've had two serious relationships and was cheated on in both. Red flag blindness. The cheating has turned into a fetish, likely as a defense mechanism, but I don't know how to escape. The other issue, finding contentment in a soulless job. In spite of early struggles, I've worked diligently and have become very successful. My company turns over nearly, nearly half a million a year but I'm still just a consultant embedded in a company that doesn't care for me. I'm finding it impossible to break out of the nine to five consultant workday and I find zero meaning in my work. I want to quit, but everyone around me loves to guilt trip me about how they'd like to be earning what I'm earning. I can't decide if I should sell my soul and try to retire early or take a leap of faith and work on something else. I spend most of the day watching farmers vlogging, saying, God, I wish that were me. That's I'm sorry, about watching the size what? of it. If any of that tickles your fancy, I'd be honored to chat. I'm sorry, he Thank said you watching what? Watching farmers what? Vlogging, you know, video logging. Farmers video logging? Yeah, like blogging except with uh, video. Okay, that's the weirdest freaking sex fetish I've ever heard. I assume these two are not related, that he's not like whacking off over farmers on tractors. You know, I don't mean to judge or anything, but... You know, there's certain things I can get from a sexual standpoint that may be a bridge too far for me, but let's, um, I guess we'll sort that out as, as we go forward. But uh, that is uh, that is quite something else. So, okay. Uh, and that was the uh, end of it. Uh, uh, David, are you on? Just to make sure you unmute yourself. 
Yep, I am here. Um, yeah, it's not a uh, sexual fetish, the farming thing, by the way. <laughs> it's just a, uh, a interesting life pursuit, I think. And is your sex- does your sexual fetish involve bald philosophers? Because I may not be able to help you then. If that's the case, I'm going to assume not. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't quite do it Does for it me. Overlap? But, um, do you, do you like uh, <laughs> ostrich eggs? Do you like uh, talking balloons? Do you like uh, giant thumbs with reason? I just want to make sure if there's any overlap at all, I may not be the guy for this. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. I've got you on the other screen. I'm not aroused. Uh, just sitting here. <laughs> Wait, come on, not even a little? Okay, how about this? I'm plowing the back 40. No, I'm just kidding. All right. I got a brand new combine harvester, and I'll give you the key. Um, so pretty good. Um, oh, so with, with all seriousness, let, let's talk about the the sex stuff. And yeah, you said you were exposed to sex at a young age. Was that through molestation? Was that through pornography? Was that through sex sounds from shrieky mom? Or like, how did that play out? Um, yeah. So I think when I was three or four, I, uh, I stumbled into the family room at night and there was a, uh, sexual movie playing. So that was probably my first, um, bit of exposure. And I remember that quite clearly. Uh, but then also, um, when I was in k- kindergarten, so I think five years old or so, um, there was a girl there who sort of quote unquote taught me what sex was um so i don't know perhaps she was being molested but um wait sorry do you mean like the um uh because there's sort of a sexual exploration among kids which is sort of called uh, i don't know playing doctor you show me yours i'll show you mine kind of thing um i'm sort of mixed feelings about that that to me is not quite the same as some you know pedo uncle at all right so um with the girl uh, how old were you and, and what happened um, well, we'll get to the pedo uncle thing, but um, the girl—it would have been four or five, but yeah, she was she was like, "I'll I'll show you what sex is," sort of thing. And then, you know, being in the in the playground, rubbing genitals together, <laughs> and um, so that was, I guess, my first time understanding. I, I didn't really understand it, but um, yeah, that was my first real life exposure, and, and that uh, kind sorry, of. Sorry, how old was she? Uh, same age. So same age. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So without a doubt, at least in my mind, without a doubt, she would have been exposed to ungodly amounts of sexual material or sexual experiences to even know uh, any any of that. So, okay. Uh, at least that would be my, my sort of thought. So, so there was the, was it a pornographic movie or just a movie with sex in it? Just just with a sex scene and um, side note that that girl ended up having a um, teen pregnancy. She dropped out of school. So uh, it's pretty sad what happened to her. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, what happened uh, after sort of four or five, you did this um, with, a, with another girl, the sort of genital rubbing. What happened after that? Um, so nothing after that for a little while though I did, experience a bit of gender confusion after that and thank fucking god it wasn't today because i probably would have been put on puberty blockers or something um but yeah i would i would like simulate sex solo as a child and um then i was i was exposed to porn um, by finding a magazine uh, yeah my my dad used to 
do uh, he used to dispose of old magazines and I would go through the piles of magazines and found a bunch of porn magazines and I would steal those. Um, now, when you're talking about por- pornographic, and I don't know, I mean, I guess you're not the youngest person on the planet if your first exposure to pornography is through magazines, which I imagine is kind of quaint to the listenership <laughs> as a whole. Were we talking, because with, with regards to the magazines, there was, you know, Playboy, uh, there was Penthouse, which was raunchier. There was Hustler, which was super raunchy. Um, and, and then I, I assumed that there was just stuff beyond that. And, and so where were the magazines in that context? Was it like, yeah, I'd love to read about, you know, stereos, how to break down a carburetor and, uh, how, you know, chicks dove love, dig love handles and an interview with Ayn Rand and then, uh, some fairly <laughs> modest spreads. I mean, where was this in terms of pornography in your classification? Uh, it was it was softcore, so um, mostly uh, just women with exposed breasts. It, um, I remember seeing a vagina for the first time and being scared. <laughs> so that's um, that's something. So it wasn't it wasn't super hardcore. Yeah, no, I I certainly can understand how you know if you nothing's explained to you, it kind of looks like how how an alien might uh, reproduce itself, right? <laughs> so um, I, I get all of that, and so. Yeah. What happened? Uh, was this all pre-puberty? The the magazines. Yeah, pre-puberty. Um, just to backtrack, so I was about seven or eight there. Um, I, my brother, actually, when I was six or so, used to touch me inappropriately for a while. Um, and that, how old was yeah. he? Was he? three years older so he was about nine nine or ten and you've mentioned earlier you're going to bring up the pedo uncle do you think that was transmitting itself down through the family tree that way um so uncle is is not correct it was uh, just a friend someone we loosely knew and um my brother knew him as well i'm not sure if he was also molested but um this was long before uh, the my brother touching me was long before um, this person came into our lives. Uh, so, okay. Have you ever talked to your brother since about this stuff? No, absolutely not. No. Well, there's a there's a rather bitter life in there, and we'll we'll get back to that. Okay. So, and what would your brother do in terms of this inappropriate stuff? Um, yeah, he would be like, "Hey, come in this room," and. Um, we would, he would get me to hide under the bed with him and, um, and yeah, just, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Uh, that's, um, yeah, it, it didn't go too far because we were kids. So, you know, both pre-puberty, so it wasn't a lot of, um, erect material, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but yeah, just, I would say inappropriate touching it didn't last for long that's one good thing i guess right okay and um just before we get to puberty what your parents divorced what was the situation with your mom and dad and and you um yeah so i'm the youngest i've got two elder siblings and um earliest memories i remember walking into the kitchen and seeing a plate thrown against the wall so it was very um toxic and, you know, we've never really talked about it. Um, it's very much 
my mother says that, oh, um, my dad would never do any house work or would never help with the kids. And then he would say like, you know, I work a manual labor job and I come home and the house isn't even clean. The dishes aren't even done. So I think both of them had some justification um, to be frustrated with each other. But yeah. So he worked a manual labor job, so he didn't make much money. And then she complained that he didn't help around the house. He, he did okay. He's self-employed. Um, and I actually sort of, it recently occurred to me that he's been making good dough for uh, all of our lives. And so I'm like, well, why the fuck were we living in poverty? Um, if he was you know, buying new cars and that kind of thing. Wait, sorry, were, were you, is this before or after the divorce that the poverty stuff, how both? Uh, after the divorce, um, before divorce, yeah, we, we did okay. I guess his his business was pretty um, immature at that point. So he, I, I would say, God, probably like an equivalent of seventy grand or something today. It's good money. And did, you, did your mum not work? No, um, she kind of helped with the books um, while they were together. And then, so why? After why divorce, sorry, why would he do the housework? I don't. I don't understand. She's home all day. He's working a hard job. Why? You say they both have complaints, and you're probably right. I just, I don't understand why he would be doing the housework. Like, why, why would he do the housework? She's not making much money. Like she's not making any money. Why would he be doing the housework? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about um, housework. I think it was more, I might have misspoke there. It's more about not helping with the kids, like not changing kids, diapers and, and that kind of thing. Um, and supposedly he isolated her from her friends, but I don't know if that's the case. Really? Yeah, you can't um, ever get – unless you are conscious enough to witness it yourself, you never get the truth about divorce from anyone. The yeah. Divorce divorce is just, just fucking lies and lies and lies. So, or I trust nothing. I believe nothing. Uh, but if there are complaints, uh, I generally assume that it's all bullshit. I mean, not the, the complaint – obviously, there were complaints in the marriage. But whatever anybody says, I just assume it's all – it's all nonsense. You know, like my, my mother, after I was born, she was depressed for, I don't know, some months she ended up in hospital. And, you know, my, my, she, her story is my dad showed up and stared out the window and, and ignored her and said, oh, I'd rather be fishing, right? And this was her, you know, you know how people have this, it's so annoying. It's so dead in, in the mind. But what they do is they just, they have one story that just explains everything. What happened in the marriage? Well, I was in hospital and I was unwell and your father came in and he stared out the window and he said, I just, I wish I were fishing. And, uh, right? This is just, and, and every single time, it's that one thing over and over. It's like a tattoo in the brain you, you, or a train track just going round and round. And it explains nothing. It explains nothing. Um, because the question is, okay, well, how did it get to that point? What did you say beforehand? And you just... I just assume nobody's telling the truth about anything when it comes to divorce. And, and of course, I was uh, even younger than you, not that it's any kind of competition, but I was younger than you when my parents got divorced. And, and the idea that I would ever, I mean, my dad's dead now, my mom's in her 80s, but the idea that, that I would ever get any truth about anything, I mean, it's, it's completely impossible. I mean, this is why people say, oh, you should go talk to your mom. It's like, she's not going to tell the truth about anything. She never has, as far as I can tell. And, and, uh, so, yeah, it's just I, I say this to the guys out there and to and to the women too. If if the guys paying the bills, you run the household. 
and he'll help out with the kids. I mean, I hope he'd want to help out with the kids and all because kids are a great deal of fun. But as far as running the household goes, you know, if, if the guy comes home from like eight or 10 hours of hard work and you give him a sink full of dishes, your marriage is going to go tits up. I mean, it's just not going to work because the guy at some point is going to say, wait, wait, wait. So when it comes to finances, it's 100% me, 0% you. But now it has to be 50-50 with the housework. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. No way. That's a terrible deal. That's a terrible deal. I mean, and you can say this to your, your wife, your girlfriend or whatever. You can say, look, if I said that you have to do 50% of the housework and make 100% of the money, would that be a good deal? Well, no. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of point that out that uh, this, I don't think it's laziness or entitlement. It's just that women have been told so often that it's got to be equal. It's like, okay, if it's got to be equal, then you contribute half the money. And if you're not contributing half the money, run the damn household like somebody who's not a parasite. Anyway, so I hope that I will sort of get that off my chest, so so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it's probably, well, I, I know it's relevant. I don't know if it's relevant to this conversation, but um, my parents, uh, my dad's parents both died when he was very young and my mother's father died when she was very young. So both of them were pretty isolated Um do you know what they, so the imagine. older people died of? Um, dad's mum died of childbirth compli- uh, complications, and then his dad died of a aneurysm when he was 10. Um, super tragic. Uh, he was adopted by his half-sister, and then um, his uh, siblings, they were half-brothers and half-sisters, were sent off to a farm, so he was separated from his kind of blood siblings. Um, how, how do you know it was tragic? Uh, just from, from what I've heard from my, from my dad. Okay. So you don't know. And the reason I'm saying is that 70% of health ailments are lifestyle related, right? So an aneurysm could come because somebody's obese, because they drink, because they don't exercise, because they're tense, stressed, angry all the time. I don't know. I'm just sort of guessing there's various causes, Mm -hmm. Complications from childbirth could occur because, uh, again, alcoholism, it could be cigarette smoking, it could be uh, drug use, uh, it could be obesity, it could be any number of things. And I- I'm going to just tell you right now, I'm, I'm pretty fucking short of-, of sympathy when it comes to sick people. Like, I really am. Because because co- COVID, right? So COVID, there's no pandemic for people who aren't fat. And, and, you know, the old people with comorbidities, probably some of those are lifestyle related, some of them are just bad luck, so they can kind of get off the hook. But... As far as the obese people go, you know, um, in, in Ontario, right, uh, you, the police now have the right to stop you at any time that you're outside your home and demand to know the reason why you're out and demand to know your home address. And why? Because people couldn't stop eating because mm. there's no pandemic without obesity, right? And, and so uh, I'm just for me, I'm like, ugh. I mean, it, it was one thing when, when obese people were simply draining my bank account because of their endless requirements for healthcare and knee replacements and um, stomach stapling. And so it was one thing when they were just clogging up the health system as far as cholesterol clogs up their arteries. It's quite another thing when I have lost significant amounts of my freedom because people couldn't stop eating, which is really what's been going on with COVID. So I'm just telling you straight up, I'm sorry to be ladling my stuff on your stuff, but uh, just, just straight up. Um, yeah, 
I, I don't know that it's all tragic. I think a lot of it is, is self-inflicted. So, Well, yeah, I would say um, probably self-inflicted, but um, both of the, the men who died were World War II veterans. One of them died from cancer as a result of smoking. So that's all, all you had when you were over there um, was cigarettes. So they came back from the war and then both died. Right. Of that. So, right. yeah, possibly lifestyle. But, yeah, I, I have sympathy because of what they went through. Yeah. Like even in the pandemic, what is it? Uh, S STD, sexually transmitted disease rates are up 300% over the last couple of years in America. And I mean, this, this, I mean, this comes back to your sex addiction, right? Which is like, I'm, I'm glad you're calling about all this kind of stuff. Really, really important. But yeah. um, I, I have somewhat less sympathy for people. Um, uh, I'm 150% self-ownership guy these days. So, you know, right, right now in Ontario, the, the, the brilliant move, of course, is that, well, uh, they've only had 14 months to prepare for a pandemic that comes in waves, and this third wave is as predictable as sunrise. They're not ready. So what they're going to do, you see, because they have, at least as a couple of days ago, they have 300 and 50 hospitals and 700 COVID intensive care patients, what they're going to do is they're going to start moving the COVID patients into, that's right, long-term care facilities, aka, um, to some degree, old age homes. So, But, you know, I mean, these people have all worshipped the state and loved the state and wanted free stuff from the state, and now the state, uh, the bill has come and due, and there's not much I can do to stop it, so... And yeah, sedentary lifestyles and being obese uh, is is the number one predictor, as far as I've read, of how badly COVID is going to hit you. And I've just why why the why the fuck do I need to lose all of my rights because y'all couldn't put down the Big Mac? I mean, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, anyway, okay, so let, let's go back to what happened uh, around around puberty. Um, okay, so you don't want to talk about the divorce anymore? We move on from there. Is there more? That, I mean, I'm I'm happy to hear if there's more that that's there's to if there's more to say about the divorce. Uh, I think that would be great. Well, okay, so probably there's a, a few key points I think I want to bring up. Um, after we after the divorce happened, my mother took us, uh, me and my siblings. We went and lived in a rental, and um, this sort of it slipped my mind until recently. We came home one day and there was just smash glass and stuff everywhere in the house, in the, in the rental house. My father had, I don't know, broken in. Or I don't know if he had a key, but he had gained access to the house and smashed a bunch of stuff, which, um, you know, he, he could have gone to prison for that if my mother had called the police. So... My life could have been even more different. And you don't know any of the backstory as to what happened there? No. Um, you know, sort of in the next couple of years after that, my mother had a lot of strange dudes through the house. Um, so I think it could have been related to that um, or, you know, possibly just my dad being forced to sell his house, um, which has quadrupled in value since um since he sold it and he's just constantly still bitter about that um yeah so yeah. she just went through trashy guys is that right yeah um and you know i don't remember too much of it but i remember like some dude with a fancy car 
coming and taking her out and then we could hear the them having sex. What, in the car? Not in the car. Like um, after they had gone out on their date, they came back, had sex, could hear it, and then he just peaced out and we never saw her again. Yeah. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah. And my mother's not particularly attractive as well. So it's like. Right. But she was yeah. available where it counted, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and oh, so should, can we move to puberty or is, is there something else you wanted to mention about earlier stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, so I don't know exactly what my siblings went through, but supposedly um, in the course of this um, dating and sleeping around, my mother kind of sort of pimped out my sister, like would sort of give her push her to date the sons of the men she was dating. Um, so yeah, she was sort of forced into promiscuity a, a bit, I think. Um, that's, a, that's about it. So, um, I'm trying to sort of figure out, so your mother would encourage your sister to date the sons of the men that your mother wanted to date? Yes. Is is it so that she would have access to the dads? Uh, I really don't know. I, I have no idea, to be honest. Well, let's let's try and puzzle it out, right? So it it could be so that your mom would have access to the the dads that she would want to date, right? Um, yeah, potentially a bargaining chip or something. <laughs> How old was your sister when this was going on? She probably would have been about thirteen, oh, fourteen, God. maybe. Yeah. So your mother is out there encouraging your 13-year-old sister to date guys so that she can bang the dads. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't want to sound overly like- harsh, so tell me where I'm going going astray. But yeah, I, I, help me out. If this, is not, this is sort of my, my thoughts, but if there's something I'm getting wrong, let me know. Yeah, I don't know if that was... I have no idea what your motivations would be to be like, Hey, you should date this, this guy's kid. I I don't think it's like altruistic. Like she's trying to be matchmaker for my sister. No, nobody matchmakes at 13. Nobody since like the 1200s. Right. So, or other cultures. So the, the, the men in question, the, the fathers of, the boys your mom was trying to get your sister to date, the men in general, were they wealthier? Were they high status? Was there something about them that would uh, attract your mom in particular? Um, well, I mean, the fancy car with that one guy is probably a giveaway that he was well off. But some of them just, you know, they lived in kind of a smaller townhouse. Uh, but I do remember one time um, in my town, there's a big, big fireworks display annually. And we went to this guy's apartment, uh, and he, he had the penthouse in this, this fancy apartment. And we got to watch the, watch the fireworks from there. So yes, high status. So she was dangling her daughter in front of the sons in order to gain access potentially to the resources of the father. Uh, potentially, but that, you know, that was the one that lived at the kind of modest um, townhouse. And this, this came, this is what my sister told me. So I, I can't say for sure. I don't really remember it. 
Okay. Okay. So you're a couple of years younger than your sister, right? You, you said you're the youngest, right? Uh, yeah, six years younger. Six yeah. years younger than your sister, three years younger than your brother, right? That's right. Okay. So what was your sister's trajectory through t- teenage life? He said almost terrified at the answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you already know. She, um, she finished school. She was pretty book smart. Um, very into literature. She was a good, good creative writer. Um, she moved to America for three years, went to a, um, I don't know if it's Ivy league, but she, you know, it was a pretty, pretty fancy university and came back a socialist. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Because of course, when you're exploited by your mother, it's pretty easy for the communists and the socialists to transubstantiate that into Exploitive capitalists, you're primed for all of that stuff, right? You damage the children, and then you, through the wound, the ideology pours in, right? Yeah, so we butt heads on that a lot because I'm totally free market dude, um, and, you know, she really does not like that. <laughs> and she always calls my parents racist, and, like, my dad has said some slurs, but I've never known him to... Um, you know, discriminate against anyone because of their race. I don't think they're racist, um, but, you know, because I don't think... Can I tell you, I mean, of the things I've heard about your parents, the word racist is like, even if they were, it would be like one of the least concerning things about what I've heard. (laughs) Yeah. Because their negative opinions of other ethnicities wouldn't have directly harmed people in the way that they've harmed their children, right? Right. And is your where's your sister's level of I know it's an odd thing to ask, but your sister's level of attractiveness on that sort of one to ten scale? Um, I'd say you know above above average, maybe like seven or so. Right, not, not a bad looking girl. Right. Okay. Okay. And would she make a good wife and mother and all that friend companion? She's. She's married now, but it's it's seriously just a matter of convenience. Um, she's been with the guy for um, close to a decade, and they, they weren't even planning on it. Um, and they are parents of two beautiful dogs, so <laughs> they're not planning on having kids as far as I know. They're pretty um, – they're like antinatalists, really. Yeah, well, you know, kids, uh, kids can be work. And the laziness <laughs> of the modern liberal female – can, can scarcely be overestimated. Plus, of course, as, as people know, I'm sure that more than half of liberal white liberal women have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder, like half nuts. Well, because ideology is never going to love you back, so it just makes them miserable. Okay, so what happened to you around puberty? Yeah, so <laughs> I guess that's the um, important part. Um, so, yeah, I guess around eight or nine years old, um, I was one of those tough kids. I hated authority. Um, and I would just I would get into these bad situations by talking smack to people, got in a lot of fights. And there was this dude, he was riding his bike past me, and I don't know why I just called him the, uh, the gay slur. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea why. I was just compelled to do it. So anyway, he... Um, Later on, he beat the shit out of me, and um, this this guy later became my molester. Um, I don't. That's 
not the best basis for a friendship, but somehow that happened. And and he was a lot older, so. So you called a guy a gay slur, and he ended up molesting you. That's not exactly shattering all of the stereotypes about older gay men, right? Uh, yeah, maybe it was um, retribution. Well, maybe you sense something. I, I don't know how. Like, he was just, you know, he's kind of kind of effeminate um, and was just riding past. So I got, like, a two-second glimpse at him and just said that. So. Okay, so then he later, like, found you alone and beat you up? Yeah, um, I was at the park down, down the road from my house, and he came there and just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> wow. And and yeah. you were like twelve or thirteen, and how old was he? I was ten years old, and he was eighteen. Eighteen? Oh my god! So a real yeah. coward and a bully, right? But of course, he would freak out because if you're able to look at him and suss out what he's all about, then he would be terrified about that. He'd be fearful and angry that he was that obvious, and then he would want to punish you for making him feel that way, right? Oh yeah, I never thought of that. Because, yeah, I was always, he always talked about being with women, um, but, you know, I never saw him around a woman. He was always surrounded by men or boys, more accurately. Right. Okay. And then how did did, did the, so the slur followed by the beating up, and then what happened with regards to the molestation? So, oh, God, I I shouldn't be laughing. Um, I was really into this trading card game. It was big at the time I was a kid. And um, now as I'm older, I've found out that trading card games are an amazing vector for pedophiles to get at children. Um, It's a big problem in Magic the Gathering. Is that right? So So they say, oh, I'll trade cards with you, and then they get access to kids? Yeah, exactly. And it's... You know, it's it's one of those strange things. You go to a hobby shop and there's a bunch of sweaty 40-year-old men, like Dungeons and Dragons types, and then kids, like 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Um, so he had this, this little gang of um, trading card game people, um, and the deal was that if you're in the gang, you get to trade cards, um, everyone borrows cards. It's a nice little communist thing, everyone gets the cards they need to make the decks that they need to, to win. Um, the, the caveat joining the gang, you'll love this. Um, you can't be circumcised. And so uh, what, what do you think I had to do to enter the gang? <laughs> Wait, okay. Let me just see if I can process this. Cause a lot for me to unpack in my brain here. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So you've got a Magic the Gathering gang of older guys who only let kids in if they're circumcised? Yeah. It was his excuse to see kids' penises. That was it. So he had... um, Wait, but they they bring this up. They say, yeah, we'd love for you to join our... our, We'd love for you to join our Magic the Gathering gang. Uh, Let me see your penis. Yeah, so it wasn't that that um, that fast. Like we, he had sort of lured me in, um, and we would uh, play games and and play cards together. And you know, it's all it's a perfect bargaining chip because he's like, I've got this super rare card. You know, it's worth a hundred dollars. This one card, and having no money, I can't buy my own cards. So 
he's like, well, if you join our, our little clique, you can um, borrow these cards and... Um, but, I mean, yeah. I, look, I, I'm sorry, again, I don't mean to sound incredulous, but how good is this game that this is like, yeah, I'll take this risk. Yeah, I'll show this older guy my dick, the guy who mm -hmm. I called a gay slur and he beat me up and now he wants me to show. Yeah, how good is this game? I don't understand. Like, you don't win anything. It's not like the lottery, right? No. Um, and, yeah, I guess, uh, again, backtracking a little bit, there was too many <laughs> to count, like, encounters with older boys on the street and they would just like show each other their penises. I don't know if that's normal for kids, but it just happened a lot. So it was kind of like at that point I was like, Oh yeah, you show them, show them your penis. It's no big deal. It's normal. I mean, it's not normal, but it's like, psh, whatever it's, I was like, I don't care if I show it to him then I get access to these cards. So what's the downside? Yeah. Well, guess, guess we found out over time, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, so so go yeah. ahead. Um, yeah, so he he would say like he would the the he had a vice president sort of position in his little clique, and um, people Wait, were what? supposed. I'm so sorry, clique, you mean like a social clique, not a business thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it was like a a little guild that's role-playing bullshit. So he was the guild master and he's like, you can be my right-hand man. Um, and supposedly people are always vying for this position. Um, and, you know, the, the requests sort of got more um, intense over time. And, you know, it's just like he, he was an experienced groomer, I suppose. It was like he'd done it before. And how long did it take? I won't say soup to nuts, but how long did it take from the slur to actual molestation? Uh, probably six months. It's hard to say. Wow. So when the actual molestation happened, I was probably about 11. Um, and yeah, it continued for uh, a year or two. Well, a year or two? Come on. You I mean... It's hard to it's hard to recall at this point. I would say maybe a year and a half. And what form did the molestation take? Um, yeah, he would request oral sex, and um, fortunately, that is all it was. I never, you know, he never sodomized me or anything. So I, I'm fortunate in that regard. I suppose he sort of was going to at one point, but I started crying. And um, he stopped, thankfully. Um, you know, it, he had sort of mind-fucked me into believing that this was a relationship and that this was something that I wanted or that I had the emotional maturity to um, consent to. And, um, you know, my parents were like kind of like, why is he hanging out with this older guy? That's kind of weird. Why is he sleeping over at this older guy's house? Yeah, whatever. And they didn't wait, care. Wait, wait, wait. Your, your parents knew that you were, you, you were sleep over with this older man? Sleep over at yeah. his house? And your parents are like, yeah, this guy's 20 and, and our kid's like 12. and Yeah. That's fine? Oh, Apparently, my God. I just... Um, 
Oh man, I was so what the fuck is wrong with these people. I don't. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. Like I don't fucking get it. What the fuck is wrong with these people? I'm not just talking about this asshole, predatory, fucking uh, pedophile. I mean, because he's he's just a fucking snake in the grass. Like, what the fuck is wrong with the parents who are like, yeah, gets him out of her hair, gets him, he's busy, and oh my god, I'm so sorry, man. Holy shit. Um, thank you. Yeah, my mom was pretty uh, physically and verbally abusive at the time as well, so she didn't really care uh, what we were up to. At that point, um, I remember. Now, like, you, you know, sorry, you know, you know that's not an option, right? Like, you know, as a parent, she doesn't have that choice. You know, like if you yeah. you, you buy a dog and you lock it in your fucking basement. And you don't feed it because, hey, man, I'm just not into being a dog owner anymore. You can go to jail for that shit, right? You don't have an option as a parent to say, well, I just don't really care that much. I'm not really into being a parent anymore. I don't really care. what. Like that's not that's not even on the list of possibilities at all, at all, particularly around puberty. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I, I remember – one time, you know, she would just get find any excuse to beat the shit out of us. Um, I Sorry, shared a room was? with my brother, my mother. Um, um, shared a room with my brother, and my brother was doing his homework. It was like eleven p.m. or something, and I was just sitting up and and chatting to him. And she just came in and started wailing on us, and um, I was bawling my eyes out. And she like, covered up my mouth and nose, and um, was suffocating me essentially and I, I seriously thought I was going to die but um, you know we would we would threaten calling child protective services or, or whatever the service is um, but yeah she was like nah you won't you won't pussy so she wasn't very good when we were kids do you know why she was so angry at that point um I mean, like, so the divorce happened and then her mother died um, and she was out of work for a long time. So she, she got a, a small inheritance from her mother um, and sort of lived off that for about a year while she was job hunting and sort of picked up temp work here and there. Um, I understand why it was frustrating and, and infuriating, but I don't think it excuses it at all. Wait, I'm sorry. What, what do you mean you understand that it was frustrating and infuriating? What do you mean? Um, well, you know, having to sort of solo raise these kids and, and find work and all that. I No, no, that's – no, it. no. Fuck her. That's all a choice. That's what she chose to get married to your dad. She chose to fight with him. She chose to divorce him. She chose to turn off her kids to pedophiles. Don't you fucking try and get me a sympathy bone in my body here, my friend. I'm sorry. I'm not mad at you at all. But don't even try. Don't even try to get me on the sympathy wagon with regards to your mom. Okay. Okay. So she handed over her kids. She handed over at least one kid to a pedophile. Okay. And didn't give a yeah. shit about what happened. So when you start to talk to me about, well, it was frustrating for her, it's like, I could care less. In fact, I, I wish it was more suffering. I wish there were more suffering because there's no fire deep enough in hell to swallow up the soulless evil of this kind of anti-parenting, okay? Like, 
I'm I'm on your side 150%, and I appreciate the sentiment through which you're trying to get, well, you know, my, you know trying to be reasonable, trying to be even-handed. Well, my mom had her frustrations, but I don't care. I don't care. And I think it's kind of important if you want to cure this addiction stuff that you better stop caring too. Because when you empathize with brutal, violent, destructive, promiscuous, pedophile-enabling abusers, you are completely trashing the entire moral history of your childhood and turning it over to the enemy. Yeah. I don't um, care that she was frustrated. I don't yeah. care. I care that you were abused. I care that you were molested. I care that you were half choked to death. I care that you were beaten up. That I care about. Your mother's frustration? Come on. That's to, to me, this is like the late Bernie Madoff with his 3,700 fucking victims saying, well, but Bernie Madoff was frustrated because his condo wasn't big enough. Who cares? I'm not going to make one single excuse for this kind of parenting. I'm not going to move one inch towards empathy at all. Because your mother had one job, which was to keep you safe. And she handed you over to be sliced and diced by a perverted child molester. That was her one fucking job, was to keep you safe. Yeah. And so when people say to me, well, we got to save the West. Really? This shit? This shit? God, no. God, no. Whatever happens after this, this is no good. This, this, no. I have no interest in saving any of this shit anymore. So I get to go from the political to the meta to the to the you, right? Which is the, the core of this conversation. But your mother's frustration means less than nothing to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, she didn't intervene. My father didn't intervene. And then my mother remarried. And she had... Uh, sorry, the the person she remarried with had adult children, and I I was probably uh, I'd say like twelve at this point, and I you know, for some reason I don't know the eldest of the adult children, the stepsister, um, was bisexual and sort of openly talked about it, and I said like, oh yeah, me too, and I sent her a picture of the guy and said, this is this is my boyfriend or whatever <laughs> and how old and, were you um, sorry how old were you at this point i think 12 probably so 12 you're saying to the your stepsister who's an adult yes i'm bisexual and here's a picture of my boyfriend yeah who was 18 or 19 at that time um and she didn't seem to be um that perturbed by that she didn't intervene at all so yeah all the adults around me sort of just folded failed it's very strange yeah to, to me think, to me it, it works like this you arrest the pedophile then you go and arrest the parent you arrest the pedophile then you go and arrest the parent for failing right. to protect the child 
That that's that's Dude. how that's how that's how it works in a free society. That's how it works in a just society. You arrest a pedophile, you go and arrest a fucking parent. Right. So then, um, yeah. Do you do you then uh, get turned over to the state? To no, be- no. A free society. <laughs> well, a free society would prevent yeah. this kind of stuff. But anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, so, every every kid who's being abused knows that it's out of the frying pan and <laughs> fire if you turn yourself over to the state, like the child protective services stuff, right? So, all right. Um, um, probably worth noting at the time, my father had also remarried, and um, this woman was a f- demon, absolute demon, just sort of drained him of resources and money, and um, had this ultra um, princess daughter who sort of got everything she wanted um so even um dad's house wasn't an escape we couldn't really um yeah we couldn't go there if if mum was being abusive or whatever because it was as bad or worse there um to the point where my my sister said she would no longer go to my dad's house um so i mean that's got to be a pretty pretty big indictment if you're willing to stay with mother instead of going there. I'm sorry, you uh, I, I think maybe a little bit, and you can correct me if I've gone astray here, but I think a little bit you tried to pull the same stuff with your dad and me. My dad remarried and the, his, his wife was a demon. Mm. No, no, your dad was a demon. She's just the punishment. You know, once once you've turned your kid over to a pedophile, you're probably not going to have a happy marriage now, are you? She's the she's she's the he summons her through his evil behavior, right? Because your mother and your father knew exactly what was going on, exactly down to the last t, what was going on. And so when you say, "Well, you know, my dad did hand me over to a pedophile." But then, you know, he, he married this woman who was really terrible and he, she, he took him for all his resources. Like, well, that's what, you know, you, you, you carve up your children and you hand them out to predators. Well, that's the spell that summons this kind of woman. I mean, she can, she can read that in him like tea leaves. So I don't have any sympathy for your dad either. Yeah, that makes sense. It actually, it came up. Um, he was. I moved away um, when I finished uni. So when I was around twenty-two, I moved to a different state. Um, and wait, wait, wait. We jumped. We jumped like ten years here. Oh, I just yeah. I just wanted to wanted to bring this okay, in. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um, just a short note. Um, yeah, he came down to visit and um, with a couple of friends, and uh, it just came up in conversation. He said, "Like, whatever happened to that weirdo guy?" He wasn't a pedo, was he? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> Just, Great time to ask, Dad. Eight years yeah. after the fact. Great time to ask. Uh, more like 12 years or Oh, was it? After you were fact. 24? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Something like that, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Just a side note. Jesus, H. I'm so sorry, man. This is appalling. I mean, my mom didn't yeah. fuck all to protect me either, and I got into some pretty dicey situations, but I managed to get out, and not because I'm any magical person. I just happened to be lucky with the people who kind of had me cornered, the men who had me cornered, 
but um, I just I didn't have the um, the bad luck that you had, and I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is what happens when you you take you take men out of the family, and uh, this kind of stuff happens. Now again, your dad was around, right, and he didn't do anything to protect you, so it's not always a guarantee, but it certainly helps, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't really around. We would see him every couple weekends, um, that sort of thing. So I didn't have a father for all intents and purposes. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, how did it, uh, terminate with we, this? And this is, this is the part of the story yeah. where, you know, he fell off a bridge and I, I cheer raggedly, but what, uh, how did things play out with this satanic son of a bitch? It was just happenstance that it happened. Like um, my when my mother remarried, they decided to sell her house and move, and we moved with them. I was I never dealt with it. We just moved away, and I had a couple encounters with this guy again later on um, that we can get to later. But yeah, oh, so that you was didn't how move that far, right? Uh, no, just a couple of suburbs, but far enough that it wasn't a daily occurrence like it was um, previously. Oh, so the relationship continued, but more intermittently? Oh, no, no, it, it terminated, but um, there was just a couple, two isolated encounters where I um, we crossed paths. Well, I mean, but were they sexual encounters? Were they pedophile encounters? Uh, do you want to talk about that now? I'll get to it. Uh, it's your story, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just being dragged along here, so to speak. Um, wh- whatever works yeah, okay. for you is fine with me. Well, yeah. So, um, my brother sort of stayed in contact with him. And at some point my brother actually lived with him. My parents kicked my brother out because he oh, was, Oh no, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, he, no, 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 very- no, 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 please God. Let there be a, a bottom to this story below which there is not more hell. Your parents kicked out your brother who was then swallowed up by the pedophile in his house. He lived. He was forced to live with a pedophile. I think, I believe my brother was over 18 at this point. So it was a bit further on. But yeah, it did happen. (sighs) And obviously you didn't say to your brother, don't go. No. So you weren't you I, weren't a big fan of your brother at this point, right? I honestly don't think I knew that it was wrong still at this point. No, no, no. Not true. Not true. Because you didn't tell anyone. Right? Right. So of yep. course you knew it was wrong. And I don't mean that you were wrong. I mean you're just a lost child trying to find your way through a Studio Ghibli House of Horrors, but no, you knew it was wrong because, you know, your friends would say, uh, hey, what did you do this weekend? It's like, yeah, I was bullied into giving head to some creepy older guy. You never said anything like that. You kept the whole thing completely under wraps. You never told anyone. You never told the teacher. You never told a priest. You never told relatives. You never told your parents. You never told anyone, right? No. So um, let's at least give you the moral sense to know that this was a grenade that had rolled into your life. 
And it's, it's you know, again, you want to look at the complexity of language. You talked about being forced to give oral sex and then ne- later use the phrase, he mind-fucked me, which is another way of putting it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, just continuing on that, um, how, how it all ended story, I'll just finish that off. Um, uh, so when my brother was living with him, So I think I was 17 at this point. Um, okay. So this is even further along. Yeah. I was about 16 or 17 and, um, I don't know why, but he was with my brother and my brother drove to my house and he let this guy into my house. Like they pulled in the driveway and I think, I don't know, they were picking up tools or something. And this guy just fucking walked in and I was sitting there. And then suddenly after, four years face to face with this guy. He walks up and he just sticks his hand down my pants and I didn't do anything. What would you like to have done? Fucking beat the shit out of him, break his fucking skull open. I don't know. Just, really say like that's that's not okay or reprimand him somehow and through all of this i know he after i had left he found another young guy to abuse right i still haven't told anyone Right. I don't want to go to the police. I know where he lives and I know what he does. And guess what he does for work? He owns a hobby shop selling trading cards. Of course he does. <laughs> Have you ever looked up the law? Um, yeah, uh, there's an organization that gives support to, uh, adult survivors of child abuse. And, um, I think if it happened when you were a child, there's no statute of limitations. Um, so you can bring it up to the police if you're an adult, but I just, it's so difficult and I don't know how to make that first step. It is unbelievably difficult. I am so incredibly sorry that this has landed in your lap, so to speak. I mean, what a what a burden, what a decision to make, what a bridge to face. I am incredibly sorry that this has landed in your lap of possibilities. Yeah. So I think this is the origin. I, of- I'm happy to talk about that now, but I want to get more more perspective, and we can circle back to this uh, a little later. But I want to, well, first of all, t- tell me how you're feeling. I mean, this is this is a hell of a thing to bring up and, and to talk about, and I just your courage in doing so is a beautiful thing to behold. I, I feel like the unveiling of a piece of art called integrity. I, I feel very honored. I feel very 
um, privileged to to be in the position where you would trust me with this kind of information. And I just want to tell you how uh, incredibly uh, brave and and honest you're being and talking about these incredibly difficult things is a very powerful thing to do. And I, I respect you enormously and admire you enormously for it. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've listened to a few of the call-in shows and um, there was uh, one guy a couple of weeks ago, I think Daniel, who was made blind by being force-fed fast food. Yeah. And yeah, just the way, I don't know, the way you, you counsel these issues, I think is, is really helpful because um, I brought I told a couple of people, I've told my therapist, I've told one of my friends and I told my ex-girlfriend when I told my friend, it was like, I just told her, Hey, it's raining outside. She didn't react at all. And I didn't know if that was like, she was consciously being like, Oh, Hey, it's okay. Like, don't worry. I'm not going to react crazily or something. Um, but, or like, I don't want you to think it's too big a deal. So I'm not going to, yeah, maybe it's some, some weird half compassion thing like that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's my theory. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of just have no reaction was strange. And then I brought it up to her again. Um, this was going on six years and she just, she was like, Can, oh, what was it again? Can you tell me again? I'm like, wow, that wasn't memorable. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess that didn't help. Um, that didn't make me more confident to bring it up again. Um, and yeah, there's some details I haven't told anyone still. So, yeah. Uh, any of those things that you want to share now or it's, it's your choice, of course. Oh, well the, him bumping into me and just sticking his hand down my pants that I have never told anyone. Um, I'll tell you the very last time I saw him, I was at a food court with my new girlfriend. I, I'd been with her for about a month and who should appear this guy right beside me. And I just, I just shrink. Um, and yeah, I guess she wouldn't have known what was up, but she would have seen me cower. Um, and then the relationship got pretty bad after that. So yeah, I don't know. If, I, I believe that was probably related somehow. Related somehow? What do you, of course it's related. What do you mean? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So she would have seen me just, completely beta out no 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 don't say that don't say that about yourself no no come on you didn't beta out you didn't beta out this man tortured you this and you know the the gender dysphoria stuff combined with increased pedophilia combined with single moms and others not protecting their kids i mean this all related but you you didn't you didn't punk out, you didn't pedo out, sorry, you didn't beta out, you didn't any of these things. You were, I mean, this is PTSD 101, right? You were triggered and you went into fight or flight mode, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't think you know why you didn't say anything when he put his hands down your pants. Right, just unconscious. But do you know reaction. why? Do you know why you didn't do anything? Because oh. I, I think you've got an answer like like cowardice or or I should have. I don't think you know why you didn't. 
I mean, I think I know, but I could be wrong. Obviously, I'm just, I, I think you've got an answer that's not fair and respectful to you. I mean, could it be that I was just returning to, mentally returning to being a child? No. no. I mean, obviously that was happening, but that's not, but you weren't a child and you would be aware of that and you would assume a big guy. You'd been in lots of fights. You, you, you could have fought him, right? Mm, possibly. Oh, is he a big, I, strong guy? or? Um, yeah, kind of, but I was also a, a very late bloomer. Um, I hit puberty at like 16 or something, so I was still pretty scrawny then. I'm big guy now, 250 pounds, 6'1", so if I see him today, I'll I'll rip his fucking head off. But well, I mean, back then, you you could uh, you could hit him with an implement, right? I mean, size size doesn't matter as far as all of that stuff goes, right? Yeah, I suppose. Um, why didn't I do anything? Why do you think? I mean, I think I know. You didn't do anything because that's how you can get killed. Right. Because a pedophile who's facing a witness, a potential witness, has nothing to lose. Because pedophiles, when they get convicted, if they get convicted and they go to prison, what happens? Um, they get raped and killed. <laughs> well, so so many of the men in prison are there because of pedophiles, right? So many of the men in prison are there because of pedophiles. Right. That a pedophile comes into their midst, a lot of these guys have nothing to lose. So the pedophile is walking into uh, kind of a not unlikely death sentence at this point. So if you decide to, say, fight back against pedophile then what happens is they don't have a lot to lose in terms of what they'd be willing to do to you in order to get you to not testify did you see what i mean right yeah so what do you think he was kind of just testing the waters to see are you going to keep your lips shut well yeah so what he's doing is is he's coming in there and he's aggressing against you just as he did at the mall in front of your ex-girlfriend he's coming in and he's aggressing against you to make sure that you're not going to rat on him. You're not going to um, do anything. Yeah. And I didn't. He was right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, taking on this group is, is fraught with peril. Right. Which, so, 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 I, I, so what I'm saying is that I think it would have been unwise to react in the way that you fantasize about reacting. And of course, here's the thing too, right? So if you had beaten him up, um, what, what might he have done? Um, uh, come back and retaliated. Come back and retaliated. That's right. What, what could he have done to your brother? Yeah, probably could have raped my brother or murdered my brother, perhaps. Or implicated your brother in some sort of molestation situation or any number of things, right? Or yeah. or he could have sued you. He could have pressed charges. Uh, Who knows, right? And and yeah. all of this, all of this is a desperately bad situation that would have given him power over you again, right? 
Yeah. And that would not have been the way. Like, if, if you want to deal with a bad guy, you've got to plan. You don't just react. You don't just act impulsively. Yes. You plan. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. There's lots of ways that you can shuffle off this mortal coil in undetectable manners, right? People can come and mess with your water supply. Uh, uh, people can uh, mess with your car brakes. There's lots of different things that people can do, which are pretty tough to trace, right? Yeah. If you want to deal with a really bad guy. I mean, that's what he might do to you, right? So if you want to deal with a really bad guy, you have to plan. You have to, you know, like James O'Keefe, right? James O'Keefe, uh, if, if the New York Times says bad things about him, if um, CNN says bad things about him now, Twitter, as he says, has said bad things about him, he doesn't just go and, and, and set fire to their offices, right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't act impulsively in that way, right? Yeah. What he does is he consults with lawyers, he gets his facts in a row, he, he, does, he does what he needs to do in a careful and planned out manner to deal with the people he says is bad, right? Oh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was... So I'm saying have some, have some kindness to yourself. Okay, so and I did it would right have been thing. the wrong thing. To, oh, because we have this fantasy. Oh, I would have. But that's not how you you don't beat evil by beating up on people in general. I mean, other than immediate self defense, blah blah blah, right? Yeah. But you plan and you're patient. Winning against evil is a marathon, not a sprint. Everybody wants to do the sprint and just you know because we get these stupid movies that oh you beat the bad guy up and. Whatever, right? You throw them off a bridge, you know. That's not how you beat the bad guys. I mean, they tried that in World War II. They didn't really beat the bad guys. I mean, they beat one of the bad guys, the Nazis, but they didn't beat the other bad guys, the communists, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think it's important to applaud yourself for the restraint that you showed. And the restraint that you showed probably showed up for you as fear and paralysis. But that's your unconscious saying, now is not the time. Not like this. Do you see what I mean? Right. Yeah. I've just, I, I'm, I feel really guilty because I've let this go for so long. Um, and he's, he's clearly like, I, I've got this big document of um, newspaper articles with him, of his business registration details, where he works, where he lives. I've got all this. Um, and, you know, he's, I know he's in the community. So, and I, I'm sure that he has done this to other people because, you know, he had best friend kids. Well, but there's something me. else. Sorry to interrupt, man. There's, there's something else that you're probably sure of deep down. And there's something else that you're sure of deep down is he's not alone. Because that is if you go, let's say you bring a, I mean, let's take a mafia example, right? You, you find a mafia guy and you take the mafia guy and, oh my God, you, you get him arrested, right? And he, then what happens? Another one takes his place. Uh, no, I mean, sure. But what happens, what does the mafia do? 
No, they come after you? Yeah, because more than one guy, right? So this yeah. guy may well be part of an entire community right now, uh, this evil cabal community, right? So he gets arrested, and what is the community concerned about immediately? He's going to rat out them? That's right, because they want to get the ring. They want to get the group. They want to get the cabal, right? They want to get the evil tribe. Yeah. So and it's not just, uh, it's not, oh, I'll get this guy. He'll go to prison and everything will be fine. I mean, this is, I mean, this is some serious stuff, right? Yeah, I think um, I am afraid of that unconsciously. Like, And um, you should it, be. And you yeah. should be. And, and like, will, I'm with you on that. Will it was me? I'm sorry? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, will he know it was me? Like, because if there's only one victim, then he's like, oh, oh I know exactly who reported me. So, well, yeah. that's, again, this is talking to a lawyer. This is talking, there's other things that you can do around all of this. I'm just saying that uh, I, I hope that I can at least liberate you from the idea that you are some kind of coward for not just, oh, I'll just, yeah, I'll go to the cops. I'll get this guy arrested. I'll get this guy charged or whatever. You know, he makes bail uh, or, and everyone else who's ever had a contact with him who's in this line of devil's work is going to be, <laughs> well, they're going to be scouring, right? Okay. Because if, if, if they find out it's you, they eliminate you, you can't testify against him, he walks free, and they're fine. Right. So unfortunately, so, it's not just a one, most likely, it's not just a one guy thing, right? Yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he's got a business partner in this, this hobby store. So I assume, um, like you couldn't, assuming he's still doing it, you, you can't hide that that long. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what can and can't be hidden, but I will say that, um, this is not usually a one-off thing. It's not usually an isolated thing, especially if somebody's organized and has a whole front, right? So, when he comes in and grabs your genitals and you don't say anything, or when he comes up to you and intimidates you in the mall and you don't say anything, good. Like, that's smart. That's, that's, the, that's exactly the right thing to do. Because right. if you, let's say that you, you pushed him and you said, you son of a bitch, you ruined my childhood, whatever it is that you say, right? Then, oh my God, like, you've just signaled, Right. And yeah. then when the police come for him, he knows, right? And then what? Yeah. Right. Then I'm fucked. <laughs> right. So who do I, who should I speak to? Like, well, that again, I'm a philosophical podcast guy. So, uh, as far as the laws go, as far as protection goes, uh, I don't know, um, and don't tell me anything about your life, right? I don't know your level of mobility. I don't know um, your your uh, legal of, level of legal knowledge. I don't know what kind of community you have around you and all of the kind of things. But um, I would certainly talk to a lawyer and, and find out what happens. Is there any kind of protection that you would be offered? Is there anything that, that could be occurring? Right. 
and I'd be happy to move overseas <laughs> if, if need be. Like, um, you know, I got no strings. I'm pretty isolated, to be honest. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not too shocked at that because um, you know the everyone you met was like that. Uh, that old song, right? All in all, you're just uh, another brick in the wall. Fantastic song. Oh, I was just. By the way, I was just listening to that album again for the first time in years. Oh my uh, God! What an unbelievably great album! Like holy shit on a stick from back to front, top to bottom. That is just an unbelievably great album. But anyway, and I was listening to that this morning. <laughs> Right. It's my my gym. Right. Hey, you is is the good good gym song to get pumped up for a good set. Ugh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. One of my turns. <laughs> so um, yeah, and so yeah. people are saying I'm not an expert, but I don't think pedophiles are murdering victims. I see pedos arrested all the time. Usually, sick, friendless losers. Um, they they do get arrested and I don't know the situation. Obviously maybe he is a solitary guy, but you know, you don't want to pull up that thread until you know, right. I would say, or at least have some sense. Right. And there are of course, yeah, the Epstein's uh, and so on. They're not as common, also highly protected. They have a lot of um, leverage and, and power. So, um, and look, um, I don't know what your life situation is, uh, but I will very joyfully, not joyfully exactly, but but uh, ha happily make the offer. If you need uh, money to talk to a lawyer, uh, just talk to me after. We'll we'll I'll, I'll send you the money. We'll we'll sort it out. I don't want you doing anything that's that's dangerous. So, all right, thank you for that offer. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. And uh, let me know. Let me know. Oh yeah, the tough talkers. Um, Parasites will cower when you get in their face. They only mess with the weak. Oh, man. You know, just don't say stuff like this, man. You, you know, just this is a stupid and dangerous thing to say, my friend. Like, I'm sorry. I'm glad that you're listening to this, but you've got to stop doing stupid shit that's going to get people hurt or could get people seriously hurt. Okay, so this idea that, oh, you know, you just all you do is confront the tough guys and they crumble and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. What if they don't? Because that does happen, you know. People go up and start messing with guys who haven't, and put them in a corner where there's nothing to lose. And you're gonna, you know, you should you should really stop saying stupid shit and tell people to get proper advice. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, just don't. don't the people who are like, you should do this. You should like, forget it. No, forget it. No, this don't listen to anyone like that. They are not helping you at all, and they they don't have any sense of empathy for how difficult and dangerous the information they're putting out into the world is, and maybe they just like to see people fight or whatever. But anyway, so, um, yeah, yeah, you, you got to get, get a bunch of legal advice. And because what you have to do when you are, uh, when you're considering engaging in any kind of battle, when you're considering engaging in any kind of battle, everybody thinks about what you're going to do. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But this is something, a, um, this is the stupidest thing in the world. And I'm sorry for trivializing everything you're going through, but it's an important principle. So, when I was young and I was uh, pretty, pretty good at tennis, I competed, and I had a tennis coach who said to me, every tennis player who doesn't do well has the same characteristic. Is that all they do is focus on their own shot. Oh, I want to hit it over here. Oh, I want to hit it there. Oh, I missed that shot. I'm mad. Oh, that was a great shot. I'm happy. Oh, I got to practice my shots. And they, all they do is they're just basically focusing on what they do, what they do. And they never win because all it takes is for someone to – you, you, if you're that kind of player, this solipsistic, narcissistic, in a sense, player, you're only thinking about yourself, 
all, all that happens is there's shots you're good at and shots that you're bad at. And when you come across someone who really focuses on you rather than themselves, they'll beat you every time. Because they'll say, oh, man, when I lob it and he walks backwards, he loses his balance and then I can hit it to the net and, he and they just keep hammering you. They look at you, not themselves. They look at what you're bad at and, and what you, how you play and that's how they win. And it really, it was one of these life lessons that just sort of sunk into my bones because you're sitting there, oh, you know, I should have punched this guy. I should have, I should do, maybe I should go to the cops and so on. Okay. But what you have to do if you want to win any of these kinds of conflicts, you have to look at what the other people are going to do. What What are the other people? What, what is this guy going to do? Now, again, I can't answer that for you because I don't know him and I don't know the situation. But if you talk to a lawyer who's had experience with this kind of stuff, he'll say, okay, well, this is the kind of stuff you can look about. And remember, you're, you're on, you know, you're on uh, your privileged conversation, right? Solicitor client privilege, lawyer client privilege. So you, it's a privileged conversation. But if he's prosecuted this kind of stuff before, he knows this kind of stuff before, he can give you a sense of the potential blowback. So you really, you know, when you're in a, in a battle with the world, if you just look at yourself, you'll lose every time. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying as a, and this, I'm more to the other guy who's like, well, just go do this. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Figure out what the other people are going to do. Figure out what the blowback is. Figure out what's going to come at you sideways. Figure out every possible way that they could try and get you and be prepared and be aware and try and shore up your defenses. And this is something that you have to do slowly and patiently. So that's, that's, and, and all the people who just say, oh, just rush in and focus on what you're going to say. It's like, you'll lose every time you'll lose. Cause listen, the bad guys like this, this creep, this hebophile, right? The bad guys, they're very good at figuring out what you're going to do or rather what you're not going to do. So this guy, they call it grooming and all they're doing is, and I hate that word. I, somebody mentioned that in the chat. I hate that word as well. Um, yeah, somebody said, does he have any dirt on you? Did you commit any crimes with him? I don't think that would be the case if he was a, a kid, right? But yeah, you do have to try and figure out, uh, could he, uh, you know, pay some Chinese bot farm to produce negative information about you that's untraceable? I mean, there's just so much. Could he dox you? Could Like, there's so much that could be, uh, could be uh, going on. Could he make up a crime that you committed with him? Maybe he committed a crime. Maybe he did something really bad. And then he says, oh, no, we did it to get, like, there's so many things that could happen, right? There's so many things that could happen, and you are not. I mean, I hate. Well, we'll get to that in a sec, right? So just just be aware of what uh, what can happen, and if you're just focusing on your own game, you're going to lose. You got to focus on the other person, uh, and and so on, right? So okay. uh, let, let me pause my sort of thoughts because you know the, your story is is what we're really tracking here. What's really really important. So um, what what else has been going on with with you said you've got the fetish and the sex addiction and so on um and you understand why right because our selected provocation of hypersexuality as a child but um would you know what i mean when i say our selected sorry i keep thinking everyone's watching uh, all these presentations yeah no i hear you say that but i'm, I'm not sure exactly so our selected versus k selected um k stands for carrying capacity so to speak so if you think of a field there are a bunch of mice and a bunch of rabbits, and they basically will have compulsive sex, have as many babies as humanly possible, and put very little effort into raising their babies. If you look at something like an owl or a fox or a wolf, they have much fewer offspring, but what they do is they train their offspring considerably. And, and so if you think of a rabbit, the rabbits will breed until they starve. 
right? You know, this happened in Australia. It's happened a bunch of other places. They just breed – like you get rid of all the natural predators and the rabbits will just breed until they starve. Now, so they just reproduce without any sense of restraint or limitation. They just sex, 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 reproduction, 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 and just eat, eat, eat. And it's a pretty low rent, low intelligence. And generally, the less intelligent creatures tend to be more R-selected. K-selected is when you put a lot more investment into your offspring – and you have to hunt, you have to work together as a team, you have to work together as a pack, you have to have a pair bond. Rabbits don't have to have a pair bond because you just have the babies every, what, eight weeks or whatever and you just nurse them for a couple of days and off they go, right? You don't care what happens to them. You but if you're a wolf, you have uh, you have to pair bond, you have to train your offspring, you have relatively few of them. They tend to be more complicated, more complex, more intelligent creatures. And this is to a large degree the difference between the left wing, which is our selected, and the right wing, which is K-selected. It's the difference between socialism, which is R-selected, and capitalism, which is K-selected. And so when you, um, when you are exposed to sexual stimuli at a very young age, it triggers an R-selected response in the same way that if you are without a father when you're young, that triggers an R-selected response. In other words, there's not much parental investment. I just got to have a lot of sex Pair bonding isn't going to work for me because the best reproductive strategy when you cannot control the outcome is simply mass reproduction. So rabbits, they can't plant grass, right? They can't farm they, and they can't protect themselves against a hawk or a wolf or a fox or a, an owl or anything like that. The rabbits just, they eat and they fuck. <laughs> That's all they do. They're just like pack fan shitting babies. That's all they eat and they fuck, right? And... They can't control the outcome. Now, if you think of a wolf pack hunting, they can control the outcome. Not perfectly, but they can certainly have a big influence on it, depending on how well they train their kids, how well they hunt, how well they coordinate, how well they plan, all that kind of stuff, right? So the more control you have over the outcome, the more incentive you have to pair bond, to defer gratification, to have fewer kids, but to train them more, and that's K-selected. And that's civilization, right? That's civilization. That's the modern deferral of gratification civilization. Are selected, mm -hmm. you can't control the outcome. And because you can't control the outcome and you can't protect your children, this is why wolf pups are very few in number compared to rabbits. Rabbits are just, well, the old thing, breed like rabbits, right? Because they can't control whether the rabbit gets snatched by an owl or a fox or something like that. They can't fight back or anything. So they just have a whole bunch of kids and they will expand until they run out of food. They simply will mm -hmm. expand until they run out of food. That's not the way that the case selected species go and so every time you take away the case the the uh, the predators so to speak are selected just expand like crazy now the tropics tend to be more are selected because they can't do much about the various dangers they face throughout most of human history so if you look at sort of i don't know the aborigines in australia forty thousand years you look at sub-saharan uh, blacks in africa you look at some polynesian stuff what can they do well the food is available pretty much year-round what, what what can they do well they may have some minor protections against lions and tigers or whatever, or, you know, not really much against sharks, but they can't protect themselves against crazy storms and they can't protect themselves against disease. They don't have any antibiotics. They don't have any vaccines or anything like that. So they can't protect themselves. And so when you're in an abundant environment where you can't protect yourself from predation or disease, your best reproductive strategy, and they've worked on this mathematically for many, many years, it's very much true, your best reproductive strategy, no pair bonding, crazy amounts of sex, lots of babies, good luck. Right? That, that's what it all comes down to. Whereas if you are in a scarcity environment, like there's, there's more grass for the rabbits than there are rabbits for the wolves, right? 
So when you're in a scarcity environment, you have fewer kids, you pair bond, uh, you defer gratification, and you coordinate and you hunt and you have control over the outcome. And you need a more complex brain to do that, which is why the colder climates in general, outside the Arctic Circle and all the colder climates, well, you can do something about what's going to kill you. So you don't face nearly as many parasites and bacteria and bugs and viruses because the winter kills them off to a large degree, right? So disease isn't quite as bad, except if you've had any contact with anything that's ever had any contact with China, which is the case throughout most of human history. Almost all the plagues have come from China, right? So, but what you can do fundamentally is you can plow, you can plant, you can reap, you can pickle, you can store for the winter, you can convert into bread, you can um, build habitation and and warmth against the cold so there's a lot that you can do to protect yourself from what's going to kill you it's not the case in the tropics because again you got big giant predators you can't really fight them off and you have uh parasites and mm -hmm. and bugs and bacteria which is going to kill you. like one scratch and you're, you're probably dead right so right so you yeah go you ahead. like so like if, if you're in a cold climate if you don't cut wood for a year in advance so it's season for winter. The people that don't do that die, right? Well, so yeah, for sure. You're saying it's yeah, like so it's the, the people force. who don't, yeah, the people who don't plan for winter, who don't cure their meats, who don't uh, pickle their whatever they pickle and make jams, and and who don't store food for the winter, uh, they 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 will die off. And this is one of the reasons why people in moderate to cold climates tend to have higher IQs, is because simply the people with the lower IQs didn't make it. I mean, you you can't plan for winter with an IQ of seventy five. Like you just can't. You're the grasshopper, right. not the ant, right? And so uh, this is why one of the reasons why the Aborigines in 40,000 years in Australia, and I talked about this when I did the tour, almost no progress. Almost no yeah. progress whatsoever. Why would there be? There's no selection pressure for intelligence in a hyperabundant environment. And the reason I say that socialism is R-selected is socialism is based on money printing, which turns K-selected humans into R-selected people. Because... With money printing, you get the sense of infinite resources, just like the rabbit does, mm -hmm. just eat and fuck and eat and fuck, right? And so yeah. for you, it's not a moral failing. It's not a moral flaw. It's not like you're a bad person. It's just that your genes have constantly scanned or your, your nature, your personality has constantly scanned the environment. Because we don't know when we're born as human beings, we don't know what the hell we're being born into. We have no idea what we're being born into. Are we being born into war or peace? Are we being born into famine or plenty? Are we being born into disease or health? Are we being born into a cold climate, a warm climate? We have no clue. So when we're born, our reproductive capacity is scanning the environment, just scanning the environment all the time and saying, okay, what's my reproductive strategy? Now, if there's father absence, then what happens is your reproductive strategy is, oh, shit, uh, parents are gone, which means one of two things. Either there's war, in which case, if there's war, there's not much point having a pair bond and investing heavily in my children because most likely some of those kids are going to die, right? So you just don't invest that much in them. So either there's war or we just live with such abundance that dads don't need to stick around for their kids because the mom can just go and get bananas or can go with a net and catch fish in the in the bay or, you know, they can, they can pick fruit, whatever. It's not complicated to get food, so you don't need dads around. Now, moms can't survive without dads in a colder climate because they've got to chop the wood and you've got to build the habitats, you've got to go and, and hunt and all these kinds of crazy stuff, right? So I just need you to understand because we'll look at these kinds of things and we say, oh my gosh, I, I'm a sex addict. It's like, no, you're not. 
you're not a sex addict, in my opinion. You are selected, okay. and that's not your fault. And it doesn't mean it's permanent. I was born in an R-selected environment as well. I mean, there's things that you can do, mostly around philosophy, to, to change all of this. But it's not a personal failing. You know, if, if you grew up without enough protein and you ended up being short, you wouldn't sit there and say, oh, my God, I, I can't believe my personal moral failings have met, made me short. No, you were born and you saw women able to kick out their husbands, women able to kick out their providers. That signals to your body that you're in an R-selected environment, that you can survive. And there's no point bonding with the mom. And there's no need to bond with the mom of your kids. There's no need to bond with women because your mom survived just fine, never bonding with a man. Right, so that right. tells you that you're in a situation of chaos, unpredictability, and abundance. Right, there's war, there's right. famine, there's there's oh, sorry, there, there's war, there's disease, or something like that. But there's abundant resources, and there's no no there's no predation that you can do anything about. And so okay. you don't have personal failings, you don't have uh, a moral um, uh, shortcoming or anything like that. You simply were in an environment that pushed every single R-selected button that could be found. And I'm telling you, this is not even my theory. And I've got a whole series on this called Gene Wars, G-E-N-E Wars. Just go to fdrpodcasts.com, FDR, Free Domain Radio, fdrpodcast.com, and uh, just look up Gene Wars. There's four of them and I think an extra interview. And it goes through all the data. It's got all the sources. You can look it on Library, on BitChute, other places as well. And this will help you to understand. It's not like, oh, my gosh, I've just become some weird, crazy sex addict and so on. It's like, no, that's – we, we don't look at a rabbit and say, oh, my God, that rabbit is a dysfunctional, sex-addicted rabbit. We say, no, the rabbit is simply pursuing the most rational and reproductive strategy based upon the environment. And nothing that was in your childhood was controllable. And when we can't control the outcome, we don't invest in our offspring. When we can't control the outcome, we don't pair bond. Because the reason why we right. pair bond is to pour lots of parental resources into our children so that they become competent and skilled and successful. But if everything's chaos and if there's no need for pair bonding, it's a huge waste of resources. Just like if there's no need for an IQ over 80 to survive, guess what? Nature won't build an IQ over 80. <laughs> of course not, right? I mean, why, why would it bother? Building a complex brain is... Very expensive, very time-consuming, and it provides a negative benefit. Like it's a, it's a drawback for an R-selected environment. So yeah, people are posting the links uh, in the um, in the chat, and uh, yeah, the truth about Gene was RK selection theory. It's um, and and so sorry for the long speech, but I just want to make sure that you know that this is not a moral judgment issue because you were exposed to particular stimuli. They know, for instance, that. Women or girls who grew up without fathers get their menses, get their menstruation hits significantly earlier. Significantly earlier. Why? Because the body is saying, oh my God, there's no dads around, which means either war or so many abundant resources that, that we can't control any outcomes. And so uh, no pair bonding, lots of kids. So of course they're going to enter into puberty earlier as children. Because... They have to, uh, and our selected also is involved with pedophilia in its sort of extrapolation or exaggeration of our selection or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But 
And R selection, pedophilia is a way of reproducing R selection because it interferes with the capacity to pair bond and it produces hypersexuality, which then further breaks bonds of other people. And, you know, it's this whole, like the cytokine storm, it's like the R selected storm and it has a lot to do with, um, with pedophilia as well. So there are specific physiological responses that occur in R selected environments. And so you had all of these signs. Uh, and all of the environmental stimuli that would lead you down this path to our selection. So you have, of course, father absence. You have maternal aggression, right? So maternal aggression, you know, why is divorce rate in the Amish community 2%? So people thought, uh, fools talk about female nature. Like there's some nature that, that we have that's just immutable. And it's like, no, 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 come on, that's ridiculous, right? It's like saying, well, People speak Japan, Japanese in Japan because of human nature. It's just their nature to speak Japanese. It's like, no, they just grew up with Japanese. It's the same thing with our, our selection, case selection, values, and, and all of that kind of stuff as well. So the, the reason why in the Amish communities the divorce rate is 2% or less is because the women really need their husbands. And because the women really need their husbands, they're much more likely to be reasonable. They're much more likely to thank and value their husbands, uh, and the husbands need the women in order to transmit the belief systems of the Amish. And so you were in a situation where women could be horrible and survive. Now, women being horrible and surviving is infinite resources. They don't need men. They can tell the men. They can throw plates at men. They can tell the men to fuck off every day. They can withhold sex. They can just be crazy, irrational bitches because they don't need the men to survive. And that not needing the men to survive communicates itself down to you and says, if you pair bond, you're, you're toast. If you pair bond, you're doomed. Your genes will not survive if you pair bond because you won't be able to pump out enough kids, right? So you look at the Jamaican culture or other cultures, so that the fatherlessness is kind of... And after the welfare state, we see people from our selected cultures and our selected environments um, become more promiscuous, have more kids out of wedlock, and less pair bonding, and that's just the way it is. So you had every, everything that I could think of happen to you to promote hypersexuality and challenges with regards to pair bonding. And it's physiological. It's physiological. It's the result of the welfare state. It's the result of money printing. This is why I'm so... Bitcoin is fundamentally case-selected. Bitcoin is foundationally and fundamentally case-selected. Why? Because it's a limited resource. Fiat currency is unlimited, at least until it all crashes, right? Rabbits expand until they starve to death, and democracies expand until they crash the economy. Right. I've actually witnessed that um, firsthand. A lot of people in in my life, it was a bit of a poorer um, suburb, They uh, Australia has very generous benefits for having kids. Um, I don't know if it's different if you're in a couple, but I think you, you can get more depending on your household income. Usually, so usually, they, punish, usually they punish the couples. In yes, other words, yes. usually what they do is they say, if there's a father in the house, then you don't get as many benefits or as, man, as much benefits because they expect the, the father to. So they literally are driving the husband and the father out of the household. And uh, that, of mm. course, again, uh, as I've said before, Every situation or every proposal wherein it means that the fathers are out of the house, I assume is driven by wanting to prey upon children. I simply assume that, and I've yet to see any particular um, uh, counterpoint to that. But I'm so sorry. Go ahead. 
Um, all right. So, I mean, the, the R selected genes then, I mean, could that account for my general impulsivity, um, like financial impulsivity? Well, sorry to, be impulsivity? Sorry, sorry to be specific. It's not R selected genes, it's epigenetics and it's not fixed, right? So you, your height yes. is your height, right? It's kind of fixed when you become an adult, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a complex interrelationship between genes and environments. Genes get switched on or off depending upon the environment and you can change your environment. So think of it more like a suntan. Is it genetic for you to have darker skin or lighter skin? Well, it depends how much sun you're getting. If you if you get a lot of sun, then you're going to get darker skin. If you get less sun, you're going to get lighter skin. So the genes are there to adapt to the environment. Just as you know, you, you get darker skin uh, so that uh, you you don't you don't burn and and you whatever right. So and you don't absorb too much vitamin D and all that right. So uh, I don't want you to think of it like it's genetic, like, oh, my God, these are my genes now, you know, and it's not, it, it, it is epigenetics, it is this relationship between genes and environment. If you change your environment, you change your thoughts, you change your mind, you can, I believe, uh, change your, um, the manifestation of, of the epigenetics, so to speak. Right, okay. Um, sorry to do this, could I just take a 30-second break? No, no, that's totally fine, that's totally fine. We've been going for a while, and, and right. that's yeah. uh, fine. I will... Um, is IQ epigenetic or just genetic? Well, so IQ, the the data, and I haven't looked in this for a while because of PTSD, but the um, – the, so IQ, uh, by the time you're in your late teens, IQ is 80% genetic. And 20% is a lot to work with. That's a funny thing. Imagine if penis size was 20%, you could do exercises or whatever. I'd be doing them right now. Hang on. No, later, later. So – uh, IQ is, um, there, uh, there are certainly genetic factors, at least this is what the data seems to show, but first of all, you have 20% to work with, which is a lot. Let me take a silly example, right? Uh, 100, 20% of 100 is the difference between 80 IQ points and 120, so to speak. It's a 40% spread, but 20%, even to say the difference between 90 and 110, it's a huge difference. So later, later, got to give yourself some recovery time, man. No! I give myself no recovery time. 100% self-ownership, 150% if necessary. All right, let me just see here. Uh, Dogecoin. Yeah, quite something, eh? Talk about memeing something into uh, a Do Dogecoin. That's what, $75 billion? It's now the size of the Ford Motor Company or something? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Um, All right, are you back? You're ready. Yep. All right. So, yeah. So I, I just really wanted to point out that uh, don't take your anatomy, so to speak, in your environment, which you had no control over, as some kind of personal failing or personal, oh, I have sex addiction. Or I was like, no, that, I think that's just the way that the, uh, uh, it's the, way that the, the body is programmed by the environment, if that makes sense. Doesn't, and again, I say this so that you can not attack yourself or feel bad about yourself or feel like you failed but it's kind of inevitable. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I've corrected a lot of stuff. Like I was super um, consumeristic, I guess, if that's a word, and um, just, you know, try, uh, just buying material goods to sort of fill voids. And I think I've, I've corrected a lot of that stuff, and I'm, I'm a good saver now. Um, but, yeah, this uh, – yeah, I don't know how to find a – woman to pair bond with um and i've like so I, like i said two long-term relationships both of them were disastrous um and yeah lots of sexual partners in there as well right and so you got to stop doing that because 
there's this, um, when I was in, in junior high school, I did a joke for my uh, high school. Um, oh, what was it? It was like a end of year show or, or end of before Christmas break show. And I did the cheese shop sketch with a friend of mine from Monty Python, which had me memorize a whole lot of cheeses. But um, I also did a sketch where um, a friend of mine and I were high up and I, uh, there were three of us there, right? And um, uh, I said, hey, wow, it's a great view from up here on top of the CN Tower. I can see all of Toronto. Man, it's kind of chilly though. Uh, but hey, check this out. Check this out. There's such an updraft coming from the heat. It's the middle of summer. Such an updraft coming from the heat that uh, I'm going to show you something really, really cool. And I jumped off and I pretended to fly around the auditorium and then I jumped back up, right? And the guy's like, wow, that, that's a hell of an updraft. You, you just circle around and jump back up here. And I'm like, yeah, you should. You should. I mean, it's really cool. You should try it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, right? And so the guy jumps off and falls to his death. And the other guy turns to me and says, you know, Superman, sometimes you could just be a real asshole. <laughs> and I got, the guy got in trouble for saying asshole. But anyway, it was worth it. So, and the reason I'm saying that is you can survive promiscuity as a man, but women can't. Right now, right. now convincing women that they're just like men and can survive promiscuity just like men is just a way of making all of society are selected, right? So... Yes. You you can you can jump off and you can fly around and you can oh I had a lot of sexual partners oh look I can still pair bond <laughs> but not women women can't do that women can't do that as, right. as nearly as well at least not not healthy women I think so and again I'm not saying more than one is best in the end of the world or anything but the reason you've got to stop doing that is you're Superman and they're fall, they're falling to their deaths right yeah so okay. as far as getting a woman to pair bond so pair bonding is having pair bonding is having a methodology to resolve your disputes other than willpower. I know this sounds like really abstract and all of that, right? But your parents had no capacity to resolve disputes, which is why your mom's throwing plates and why your dad is breaking in and smashing things up and so on, right? So when you have a disagreement with your girlfriend or your friends or for anything like what happens these days, and this is why people get triggered and they panic and there's a sense of sliding off a cliff down to your chasmly death and people have this terrible anxiety about disagreements and people can't have disagreements and they gotta, they got to ban people and they got to deplatform people and you can't say this and that's hate speech and, and like they have this terror of disagreeing because we don't, we've lost philosophy, we've lost rationality, we've lost reality, we've lost truth, we've lost negotiation and debate so we have no way to agree or disagree with each other except escalation abuse aggression violence pouting suckiness slamming doors storming out withholding sex withholding money mm -hmm. uh, being cold to someone like all we can do is just manipulate and threaten and whine and complain and detach right so the, the pair bonding is we have a way of resolving our disputes that's not just personal willpower. And right. you can tell me if I'm wrong, but when you had disagreements with your girlfriends, what happened? It was the end of the relationship, basically. Um, Which means there never was one. There never was one. Yeah. 
Yeah, there never was one. So if you have a methodology to resolve disputes, you can pair bond. You have an objective methodology to resolve disputes. The difference between science and a cult, right? Which And these days, science is basically just a fucking cult. I mean, I'll do this whole speech another time, but uh, you, you have a bunch of terrorists running these international organizations funded by violent taxation and predation. And then these terrorists put out all these statements about health and everyone has to toe the line with these terrorists. Otherwise, they get deplatformed. So it's not science anymore. It's a violent, abusive cult. Science has turned into a violent, abusive cult. And you can have science or you can have government science. You cannot ever have both. It's settled science. Like, that's not even close to how science works. And Neil deGrasse, the great thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. Uh, Science is a continual process of refining the pursuit of truth. It's like an asymptote. It's really tough to get close because when you get close enough to measuring the truth about science at the atomic level, then everything you measure changes the outcome. So you can never get it exact, right? So this idea that it's settled science, God, it's so retarded, so unbelievably fucking stupid that the people have lost completely the great treasure of the Western civilization, which is a respect for the scientific method. It's a method, not a conclusion. It is a method, not a fucking rubber stamp on terrorist lockdowns. Anyway, that's another uh, (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson does, oh, it's science is true whether you believe in it or not. It's like... Science is not a cult. Science doesn't just get to stamp things as true no matter what. I mean, my God. I remember when scientists said thalidomide was fantastic for treating morning sickness turned out to produce massive amounts of baby mutations. I remember when scientists said that smoking was good for you. And then when they said, well, it's maybe not be good for you, but it certainly isn't bad for you. I remember when uh, scientists 150 years ago thought that the, uh, the, the blood sat in your body like a fucking bag of milk holds milk and didn't even circulate. Uh, oh my god just this idea that oh no we're done this is settled science especially oh yeah the temperature in a hundred years totally settled science you know what settled science fucking iq <laughs> but can't talk about that because because uh, anyway yeah science says the science is yeah. settled is uh um hey do you like your twitter account be a shame if something happened to it right so yeah so actually my sister we had a group chat and she left because she was like, I'm sick of all these conspiracy theories. Um, and I have a biology degree. Uh, oh, okay. Technology. <laughs> right, right. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a respecter of, of science, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so I've been a lockdown um, COVID skeptic basically from the beginning. It was kind of like feeling it out at first. You know, we were supposed to see if it was actually airborne AIDS, uh, like they were saying. Um, but, yeah, then I've said, oh, cool. So now we know PCR tests are bullshit. If there's no clinical presentation, the masks barely work, if at all. Sorry, to, to be specific, the spread. PCR tests aren't bullshit if you want to dial up and down the pandemic, though. Like, if you want to dial up the PCR yeah. test and magically create cases, you can do that. If you want to dial it down, you can do that, too. It's it's perfect. It's a, it's a, This one goes up to 11. It's just, you know, <laughs> dial it up and down, man. That's good for the state, but yeah, yeah, yeah. so she yeah. she left, and I, I was mocking her and saying, "Trust the science, uh, Galileo. We all know that um, the universe revolves around Earth, that yeah. sort of thing, um, yeah. just to expose the hypocrisy." But um, yeah, she doesn't get it. She has sort of uh, distanced herself from me and um, my family. Well, um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, women and disagreements is a whole other whole other topic, but. Uh no, and I, I say I said the story once before, but I'll, I'll just mention it very briefly here. A friend of mine, his his wife uh, had agreed to take his name, 
And then she had, like, the day after they got married, she had this feminist spasm. And she's like, you know what? I'm not going to I, – I, I thought about it, and I really – I'm not going to – I'm not going to take your name. And he said, no, nope, you're taking the name. And she said, don't you bully me. I said, well, bully you? I'm, I'm quoting back the agreement we had before we got married. It's one of the reasons I married you is you made this agreement. If I'm bullying you, then is it bullying when you buy a car and they send you a bill? Is it bullying when the restaurant demands you pay for your meal? No, you made a commitment. You said you're going to take my name. And this is foundational to the marriage. Now you're probably trying some power play because now I've married you and now the power has kind of shifted to you, but it's not going to happen. The way that we resolve our disputes is with reference to our prior commitments. Like I can't just say next week, you know what? I know that we said uh, we're going to be monogamous. I've just decided I'm not going to be monogamous. We don't get to make those changes. We set our vows to each other and the agreement was that you take my name, you agreed to that, and that's what we're going to do now. If there's something that we really want to change, we can obviously negotiate about it, but you don't get to just unilaterally change the marriage because you have a feeling or a thought. You had a commitment, and I expect you to keep it, right? And uh, she agreed, and the marriage has worked out really well. <laughs> I guess, you know, you, you don't get to just swap things in and out and change things. It's a commitment. It's it's a, um, uh, it's a um, empirical. It has to be empirical. It has to be objective, and you can't just sort of, make things up like you know you can't just say i'll buy the iphone for a thousand dollars and then they give you the iphone and you just throw a hundred bucks down on the table and said i've changed my mind <laughs> come on right it's just funny so it's it's not about the name in that case it's about the dispute is it well it's not fundamentally about the name but if you say to someone if we get married i will take your name you can't change your mind after the fact I mean, that's not that's not how deals work. That's not you. You, you can't sign and say I'll pay two hundred thousand dollars for this house, and then just send them fifty bucks and say I think we're done because I changed my mind. I mean, you, this is life. This is how you make your commitments. Right now, I mean, if you say, oh, I'd like to go maybe to the mountains for a vacation, and then somebody wants to go, you negotiate all of that stuff. But yeah, it's it's about the commitment. And uh, how am I supposed to trust you if the first day we're married, you just don't want to take my name anymore? <laughs> Come on, we, we, already, we already dealt with this. It's not worth it. We, we've already done this now. If there's other things you want me to commit to or whatever it is. But if you change your commitment, I can change mine. And then the whole marriage just gets whittled away bit by bit. It's not worth it. And uh, yeah, she was just she was just trying to flex. She was just trying to see if she could get away with something because she now had the ring on her finger and had more power. And he put paid to that pretty quickly, which I think was a sensible thing to do. Right. Makes so sense. you just you just have to have an objective methodology for resolving disputes. And if you have that, you can pair bond. And if you don't have that, it will never last. Or God help you if it does last, because it's even worse than it failing. Right. Well, yeah. So I, I guess I always, um, oh, well, I don't know, always, the two times I've been in a serious relationship, I just, um, whenever there's issues, I'm constantly thinking about sex with other women. Right. Right, right. So you want to go and just get your rocks off with someone else because you don't have a methodology for resolving disputes, right? Yes. But I mean, these weren't relationships worth saving, to be honest, but. Right. So, I mean, what you do is you say, and this is going to blow people's minds because it's pretty obvious when you see it in hindsight, but what you do is you say on a couple, you know, if the, on the first date, you know, if, if you like the woman, like if it's not one of these dates where, um, I, I gave up on a friendship once. I, I literally ended the friendship immediately because I was single and 
he's like, oh, I know this great girl, man. She used to be a figure skater and she's really smart and blah, blah, blah. We've got a great sense of humor. And you had me at figure skater. Everybody's got their thing, right? Anyway, <laughs> so it turns out she was a figure skater, but that was about 250 pounds ago, like over and above the 110 she was when she was a figure skater. And she was like just morbidly obese, right? And, you know, I'm a, I'm a gentleman. I, I took her out. We had dinner. We went to a jazz club. We chatted. And she was. She was pretty funny. But I, I can't date an obese woman. Like, I just, I can't do it. I'm way too active. I'm way too energetic. I'm way too love sports. I'm way too want to be an active parent. I'm way too, and I can't, I can't, I just, it's a complete radical turnoff for me, right? So, um, and so I just said to my friend, uh, yeah, he said, oh, how did, how did the blind date go? I said, the blind date was terrible. And uh, yeah, we're not, we're not friends anymore. He's like, what are you talking about? Why would you break up with me? Because you didn't like the girls. Like, you, you don't have any clue what I like. I've known you for years. You don't have any clue what I like. And it's kind of an insult, right, to, to set me up with someone like that. So it's not, uh, it's not good. It's not good. No, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I, I just, I can't. And, and the torture that obese people have in relationships to their own bodies, you know, this yes, queen, slay the day bullshit. I mean, they're absolutely. I remember that was a Drew Carey show. He Drew Carey, before he sold his soul to go and preach bullshit on The Price is Right, he had a sitcom and there was just this absolutely tortured thing he had about being overweight. And it's like, oh, my God, it is such a brain pretzel for overweight people with their relationship to their bodies and all that. It's crazy. So so right. on your first date, if you like the girl, if it wasn't one of these, oh, she's 400 pounds, so I'll just, oh, two, 350 or whatever, I'll just get through the dinner and, and uh, you know, have a pleasant conversation and then move on. But if you like the girl, then you say up front, you say, you know, we're going to disagree. We are going to disagree if we like each other. We're going to disagree. So the question then becomes... How are we going to resolve our disagreements, right? Right. How are we going to resolve our disagreements? That, that's, the, that's the only question that matters. <laughs> it's the only question. Like when it comes to my books on anarchy, right? When it comes to anarchy and practical anarchy, everyday anarchy, all my books are about how do we resolve dis disputes? How do we resolve disputes? Because the state is not a methodology for resolving disputes because the state is just will, just will and force, right? It's just a dysfunctional relationship in its, in its essence. So you say, we're going to disagree. How do we resolve our disagreements? Well, what if one of us has made an ironclad commitment? Are they expected to keep it? Well, yes. Assuming like, Assuming no, you know, if you, you say I'm going to pick you up at five and you break your leg or something, okay, whatever, that's an excuse. But, you know, if you say I'm going to take your name if we get married, then you got to take your name. you got to take the guy's name when you get married. That's just the deal, right? Doesn't, it's not like it's going to break your leg to, to not do it, right? So what you need is we're going to just – how are we – so how are we going to resolve our disputes? It has to be commitments is, is one of the things. With reference to facts is another thing that's really, really important. And this was, my friend said, it was reference to a fact that she said she was going to take his name. So that was a fact, and it was a commitment, and she, you know, they'd already had the whole discussions, and then she just wanted to arbitrarily change it in a one-sided way, and he wasn't going to have that, and good for him, right? And she respected him, and, you know, whatever, right? So how, how are you going to resolve disputes? How you, maybe it's taking turns. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's taking turns. Maybe there, you know, it could be any number of things. That, that, that you can resolve disputes. Facts, reason, evidence, a third party. Uh, it could be a marriage counselor. It could be uh, basic principles of empathy. It could be um, whatever, you know, whatever can't be universalized. 
is never a good reason or never a good basis for resolving conflicts, whatever can't be universalized, right? This is back to um, when my, if my daughter would make a commitment to me and then would break the commitment to me, I'd say, oh, is that what we're doing now? We're doing this in a family. We're, we're just breaking commitment. Like I can make a commitment to you and then I can just break it. I can say, you know, we're going to get up in the morning and we're going to go and have pancakes, right? And then you wake up in the morning all excited to have pancakes. And then I'm like, nah, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. She said, oh, but dad, you said, right? Okay. So you've got to have a methodology for resolving disputes. And, and if breaking promises, you know, this is what my friend said to his wife, right? He said, oh, I can just make the, I can just make the marriage polygamous tomorrow. And she's like, no. Like, well, why not? Uh, and then she got it, right? Because she, you know, they made a commitment that the marriage was based on. So whatever can't be universalized is a pretty bad way to to pretend to resolve disputes, right? Generally, with resolving disputes, one person gains power and the other person is humiliated in most relationships. One person intimidates and the other person retreats. And then they call that a, a compromise. And I remember it, yeah, in one relationship that was one of these frustrating relationships that was both a lot of fun and then just dysfunctional at times, just like unpredictable ways. Um, it was the case that I was just generally trying to be the nice guy, you know, and, and I say this with a certain amount of self, not self impatience, right. And impatience for the culture that never taught me any of this nonsense, um, or taught me all of this nonsense and never taught me the truth. And I was like, you know, one day I'm like, you know, if she just starts to say how things should be, and this is what she wants, and this is how it's going to be, I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to push back. And if she raises her voice, I'm going to raise my voice. And if she starts wagging her finger, I'm going to start wagging my finger. And we just rode all the way up, rode all the way up. And then the relationship ended thereafter. Cause I'm like, okay, well, if I can, if my only choice here is to be the piece of paper that you fold them together, my only choice is to be the piece of paper that goes underneath. Forget that. I had that my whole childhood. I'm not going to have that as an adult. Forget it. So pair bonding is philosophy. Pair bonding is an objective methodology for resolving disputes. And of course, this is why people are so pissed off at all these lockdowns is there was no debate. There was no big, you know, of all the things that we would have to debate, you know, people have now spent on average 1.4% of their lives locked down. And there was no debate. There was no, or, or when it came to the election and the, the perception of the stolen election in, in 2020 in America in November, there was no debate. Anybody who questioned it was simply uh, shut down. Everyone who goes against this constantly shifting narrative is just uh, shut down. Even people who quote back the, the, the CDCs or the World Health Organization statistics get shut down. And um, so, yeah, there's no methodology for resolving dispute in society, which is why uh, chaos is, is coming uh, and some sort of breakup from the past is, is coming. So the first thing you do, if you like the girl, you say, hey, we're going to disagree. You and I are going to disagree. And we're going to both feel very strongly that we're in the right. How are we going to resolve it? Now, that what a great discussion to have on a date, don't you think? I mean, I tell you, that's romantic AF. That is that is super sexy. How are we going to resolve? Because if you if you can figure out how to resolve disputes, then what you can do is you can trust someone. You can trust someone. Now, maybe she says, well, we're going to resolve disputes according to reason and evidence and prior commitments, right? And then you have a dispute and she throws all of that out of the window. Okay, well, just break up with her. Well, I mean, point it out or whatever and say, you know, you, we said, wait, we said we were going to resolve things causing a reason and evidence and you're just escalating and yelling. So which is it? And she's like, oh, my God, you know what? You're so right. That's a terrible habit. I apologize a millionfold. Let's start again. Okay, maybe. But if she's just like, well, no, but I'm frustrated. It's like, okay, there was no asterisk there, right? I mean, no contract I've ever signed has an asterisk that says, 
okay, well, I do owe my cell phone company this amount of money every month for this amount of data, unless I'm frustrated, in which case I can just, you know, send them a steaming pile of dog shit in the mail, right? There's no asterisk there called, well, I have these standards and these values and these virtues, unless I'm frustrated, in which case they all go out the window, right? You just can't, you can't be with someone like that because you can't trust them because they have no respect for that which maintains peace and reason in a relationship. So you just have to, pair bonding is philosophy, pair bonding is empiricism, reason, and objectivity. So I just wanted to, yeah, yeah, we'll provide you internet access, unless we're frustrated, Comcast corporate policy. That's right. That's right. That's right. We would never accept. It's funny how we accept things in our personal relationships. We wouldn't even accept from a fucking pizza parlor, right? We will send you your pizza in 30 minutes or less, or unless we're frustrated. You know, we're trying to find your place. It's tough to find. We're just going to go eat it and go home, right? Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I guess I've always skipped this legwork um, going on dates. It's like I'm willing to overlook anything just to get some sniz. <laughs> um, I don't think that's true. And I'm sorry yeah. to just – you just started talking and I'll, I'll keep this really brief because I don't want this to be all about yeah, me yeah. yammering on. No, no. You – You've got the you, you probably K selected in your essence, but you had so much R stimuli that you're you've got this fantastic cosmic battle going on in your system. You absolutely want to ask those questions. You absolutely want to ask these questions of a date. But I'll tell you who doesn't want you to ask these questions. Do you know who doesn't want you to ask these questions? Uh, I don't know, is it my mother or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we're beating the bushes now. Um, but yeah, of course. Of course. You, oh, the, 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 the people can <laughs> tell you, man, there's no bigger enemies in your life. You think the enemies are all out there and it's all, you know, the, 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 the government and the Twitters and the, like, all the enemies out there. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're out there for sure. But the real enemies in your life, the real enemies in your life happiness are the people who fucked up and won't admit it because they desperately need you to fail. They desperately need you to fail. And right. if you succeed where they failed, if you succeed where your parents have failed and they're not self-aware, they will really sabotage you every, every, every chance they get. It may be unconscious and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter, right? In fact, if it's unconscious, it's even worse. People who have fucked up and won't admit it are the most dangerous people to have around in your life, bar none. Because you think they're your friends. They think You think that they love you. You think that they want the best for you, but they don't. You know, when I almost married the wrong woman, there is nobody who claimed to care about me in my life from that day, from that time who has anything to do with me now. Straight up, man. Because these are people who'd known me for decades and I was going to marry the wrong woman. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll come to the wedding. Oh, that's a lovely ring. You should definitely buy that one. Oh, yeah, no, it's going to be great. Let, let's help with the cards. And holy shit, they were just walking me off the fucking plank. They were feeding me to the sharks, which is kind of an insult to being fed by sharks because at least that shit's over quickly and doesn't involve family court. There mm -hmm. is not one single person in who was in my life in that time of my life. I have nothing to do with them anymore. Not any of them, not one. Because either A, they claimed to care about me but didn't have any clue what was right or good for me, or B, they knew it was going to be a disaster and they were helping me get there. Either way, fuck them. No way. Life's too short, man. Life's too short. So you definitely want to, and I say this to everyone out there, you want to ask these sensible questions. You absolutely, but there's lots of people around you who don't want you to succeed. 
I would like to see the alternate universe where that marriage happened. <gasps> <laughs> you, my friend, are a sadist. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. I'm only half kidding. So, yeah, does that make So you feel this resistance to asking these questions? Say, oh, it's because I want to get laid. No, it's not. No, it's not. Look, if you want to get laid, <laughs> come on, guys. I know getting laid is a big thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. It uh, almost makes up for taxes, right? So getting laid is a great thing. But you and I know the best way to have the best sex is to have the best marriage. Is to have a woman you get along with, to have a woman you share values with, to have a woman you can be honest with and open with, to have fun with, where you're not constantly worrying about when you disagree or if you disagree, or well, you will eventually, right? What's going to happen? You're not walking on eggshells. You're not manipulating each other. You're not bullying each other. You're not rolling over and resenting her. You're not submitting and getting angry later, secretly, silently. Everybody knows. And this statistically is true, that the people who are in happy marriages have by far the most sex of anyone. And so I, I want you to get laid. I want you to get laid on a regular basis and have mind-blowingly, toe-curlingly fantastic sex and the best way to do that is to ask these questions, how do we resolve disputes very early on in the dating relationship? And then hold her to it and hold yourself to it as well. So when you say, well, I don't ask questions that can lead to a happy pair-bonded relationship because I want to get laid, it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want to get laid because otherwise you'd be asking these questions because that's, the that's the way you do it, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, my last relationship, I was willing to overlook her telling me that she had cheated on her last two boyfriends and um, and what do you know, she cheated on me and then she called me a year after it ended and told me that she cheated on her new boyfriend twice. <laughs> so, Because yeah. she's our selected, right? And so she's mm. got our selected. So everybody's got the case selected words like the marriage vows and the you know, case selected. We're going to be monogamous. We're going to be exclusive. All the case selected words. But if you've got that our selected undertow, it's usually just a matter of time. Mm, she had an absentee father as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, so and that, that's not causal. That's not causal. It's the fact that she's not processed any of it. She's not dealt with it, right? Mm. That, so the fact that yeah. you never want to blame people for stuff that's beyond their control. It's really bad that she had an absent dad. It's not her fault. It's not her fault. It is her responsibility to deal with it. And that's what you're manfully doing like tonight, right? Stepping up and talking about it, right? Mm. So, but yeah, you just ask she, these questions yeah. and that way you can test the water so you get the principles right you get the principles oh yeah reason evidence prior commitments uh, negotiation debate this is how we're going to resolve things we don't bully we don't raise voices we don't intimidate we don't withdraw we don't punish we don't name call because we're not 12 mm -hmm. right it's kind of an insult to 12 year olds my daughter doesn't do any of that and she's 12 don't do any of that right and then yeah. you see if that's actually the case so you at least get the principle because if you can't hold if the, you don't even have the principles you can't hold people to anything Oh, crap, I forgot to distribute goodies. All right, let's throw out some big goodies here, baby. 5,000. 5,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. That's just an echo. It's not 5 trillion. All right. So, yeah, just ask, ask that question. Now, if you ask that question, though, you're breaking with the people who want to watch you fail. That's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to break with all the people who want you fail because most of those people are people we really wanted to please when we were kids. Right. Um, well, I guess uh, my main problem, I've been single for th nearly three years. I haven't had a date for two and a bit and so pretty pretty much by choice. Like I didn't want to, I wanted to sort of work on, work on these issues and um, stop having sex. Although I was still having um, casual sex with 
someone who I'm still sort of involved with. Um, but I don't know where to meet people now because I'm, I'm off all of the dating apps because they're just, they're so vapid and shallow and um, I don't really go out. I'm not very confident about approaching women sort of thing, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a bit of Groundhog Day. Um, it's not your fault or anything, but just where do I meet people? Um, mm. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, find people who listen to this show, find people who think for themselves, find people in church uh, who are Christians, who have, you know, good, sensible values, and they'll maintain those values, even if they end up, um, uh, even if they end up uh, not, uh, if they end up not religious, they'll still maintain those values and all that. Uh, join a volleyball club. Yeah, successful mating strategy for internet dad. Yeah, well, um, but yeah, church church is good. Philosophy sh uh, shows, uh, uh, philosophy groups would be good. Uh, you can, of course, become somewhat more prominent in the world. You can start a YouTube channel or wherever, someplace that's sane and moral. And you can meet people through that situation, just become more prominent and, and you know, maybe go to little conferences here and there when you can find, there's lots of different things that you can do, but I, you know, I, I just sort of feel like I've done this talk a bunch of times and, uh, um, mm. you could figure it, you're a smart guy, you got a biology degree. You could, you could figure this stuff out pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Um, except that you are probably feeling kind of nervous about making mistakes, right? Uh, yeah. And just, um, you know, I've never done the whole pickup artist thing, so I'm, I'm not desensitized to approaching women. It's terrifying. No, pick, so the pickup artist stuff is is an IQ test that makes sure that you shave off any woman of reasonable intelligence. So any woman of reasonable intelligence is going to outgame a man at infinitum because women are born for game. Men have to be trained into it. Uh, women, in terms of attracting men and, and finding the right man, they're hypertuned, hypersensitive, biologically tuned fork to the nth degree, they are past masters or mistresses of game. And so uh, this running game thing, you know, like the nagging, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, that haircut is short, but kind of attractive. You know, it's like that nagging stuff. Like any woman with any brains is just being like, oh, he's, he's, like, this is, he's running mm -hmm. some stupid scam here, right? And so um, the, uh, yeah, the, the whole game stuff, I mean, just be honest and be yourself. I mean, the whole game stuff is just making sure that you get to stick your stick your dick in dumb and dangerous women. Uh, it's really it's, it's, it's Russian roulette, man. Russian, sometimes even involving Russian women, I think so. Yeah, don't the game stuff. Just to be honest and direct in yourself. Yeah, well, I've had my fill on that, but I guess I'm wondering how can I say I go to church? I'm, I'm not religious, but um, I am. I've been thinking about going to church no but you're closer to religion you're thing. closer to religion than anything i mean by religion i mean christianity right so you're closer to christianity than anything else in our society right so because you yeah. and i assume you accept universal values universal truth universal um, morality so you're way closer to a christian than you are to anybody else you're certainly closer mm, to a well, christian yeah. than you are to an atheist uh, yes, I, I used to be an atheist, but um, yeah, I love the Bible now. So right. um, I would be willing to, to go there for the, the community aspect and stuff, though I don't necessarily believe in a deity. Um, but like, say, you find some pure maiden at the church. How can I say, like, yeah, you know, you haven't been with someone or you've been with a couple people and I've been with a lot. Like, it's it seems... Do you not understand Christianity and the story of redemption? I'm not sure. 
what you do you not understand that i mean this is do you remember the billy bush tapes back in 2016 where trump was like saying all these yeah. trashy things about women and so on right and of course all the leftists thought trump was done and i was like no he's not no he's not now he'd be done if he was a leftist and they found something because leftists don't forgive Leftists, mm. uh, you know, carry grudges uh, like uh, they, like they can they can carry a grudge till it grows a beard, right? So leftists don't forgive, but Christians do. So the fact that you've done wrong in your life, in no way, bars you from Christian virtue. In no way bars you from the love of a good Christian woman. I mean, that, that's the so whole point. Wouldn't. The whole point is that we're born sinful and we're going to be tempted and we're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. But that's the whole point of the redemption strategy. I mean, if if Christ could forgive the people who drove him through the streets with whips and put crowns of thorns on his head and gouged him in the side and hung him up on a cross with nails, if he can forgive those people, you know, surely you can uh, be forgiven for dicking your wick a few too many times, right? Right. So, she, like, she wouldn't think I'm tainted or disgusting or well, something no, see, like that. If she's, a Christian, that. <laughs> if she's a Christian, well, first of all, if she's a Christian, everybody's tainted. And I used to think yeah. that that was really, really abusive. And I, I can understand where, where that argument comes from because I made it myself. But what it does is it gives people humility and pulls them back from vengeance, right? One of the most famous stories, which doesn't make much logical sense of, of the Bible, is, of course, um, when they were going to stone the prostitute to death. And Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Mm -hmm. Right? Why, why do you judge the mote in your brother's eye while it, ignoring the beam in your own? Right. Stop being such a judgmental asshole, Karen, and have some humility with regards to your own flaws and failings. And that extension of forgiveness and acceptance is really important. Now, I, I didn't give it to your mom and dad, you know, but, and I, I was going to do a whole thing on forgiveness tonight, but I'll do it another time. I think I, I have finally figured out how to forgive my mom. I have finally, after God knows how many years, <laughs> decades really, I finally figured out how to forgive my mom. And I'll talk about that another time. But with, with you, you have not initiated the use of force. You have not defrauded people of their life savings. You have not raped children. You have, like, you have behaved with some culturally programmed callousness towards the sensitivities of others with their... I assume fairly enthusiastic participation, but it's not an evil doing. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I made mistakes in dating. I've made mistakes with girlfriends. I hurt people emotionally. And it doesn't mean that we're damned because the standard of perfection is simply the pretext for abuse, right? People have these high standards just to abuse people. They don't have these high standards because they have these high standards. They have these high standards so that they can abuse people for violating them, right? So, no, you won't be, I mean, a good Christian woman would not perceive you, especially when she knows your history. You are a man far more sinned against than sinning, and forgiveness is the key. <sighs> okay. Well, I guess, um, so what, what denomination did you endorse? Like, because Catholicism seems pretty weird to me. Why? Um, I don't know. It just seems a bit more cultish and just, you know, like Cardinal Pell, allegedly, um, what what he's done to boys. It's it's. I find it very um, disgusting that, like, people 
in that orthodoxy. Well, look, uh, but, but you don't want to blame the voters for the government because the voters are kind of propagandized. And you don't want to blame the average Catholic for, you know, pedophiles in uh, Catholicism, right? You know, like, I mean, there's there's a lot of politics, as you know, with homosexuality, right? So in in the past, the, the possibility that, you know, homosexual men, uh, if left alone with post-pubescent boys, might get un- up to no good was pretty well accepted. But then, of course, you know, what did they get sued into oblivion for not allowing gay scoutmasters because it was discriminatory, right? And then they allowed gay <laughs> scoutmasters. And then what happened was uh, the gay scoutmasters, unfortunately, some fairly small percentage, but not insubstantial, uh, you know, molested boys. And then they got sued for that too. And then they got destroyed, right? So uh, unfortunately, it's just using the... Um, and, and of course, they had to get destroyed because they transmitted Western... Christian values to young boys, and and you don't want any of that. So you've got to use the thin edge of the wedge of unfortunately uh, a minority of predatory homosexuals to to get in, or predatory hebophiles uh, to get in there and, and destroy the organization. So, but you wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame the Catholics for what some of the leaders in the Catholic Church have done, because they would have an answer too, which is human beings are fallible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess my thought was, um, oh, another thing. Um, I listened to your your Easter thing um, presentation, and thing. Um, you said something. I like thing. <laughs> good. The, the example you used was um, going to a pet shop to buy a puppy because you had to kill it because you cheated on your wife. Um, I thought like Catholicism isn't it like you can kind of do wrong as long as you um, you know you go to confession and then it's like oh sweet um, I'm going to heaven. Well, but you do, of course, understand, or maybe you don't, I'm sure you do, but you understand that it's not, the Catholic Church doesn't grant you the absolution. It is God who grants you the absolution through the process of going to confession. But God knows whether you're doing it for bullshit reasons or not, right? Okay, yeah. So, so So the methodology... It's like you go to the doctor to get your pills. You still got to take them, right? And so the the priest will say, you know, repent and be humble and apologize to those you've wronged and make restitution and so on. Okay, but you got to do that stuff. You know, some some you know, when you I banged my knee up, some physiotherapist gave me some useless stuff. I tried it and it didn't work, but you know, at least I tried it, right? You got to you got to do the stuff. You got to pick up a diet book and change your diet. You got to pick up an exercise book and start to exercise. So uh, it's not that they have wave a magic wand and you're suddenly all better. They will give you. Uh, things that you have to do. It could be as simple as 10 Hail Marys. It could be something a whole lot more complicated and, and difficult. So, um, But your, your, your final judge is, is God, and he knows whether you're trying to pull a scam or whether it's uh, real. Okay, that makes sense. Somebody says here, raised Catholic, never sympathized with the corrupt leadership and had less of a say than the average voter. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. And at least right. so, I mean, and you know, atheism has just turned into meism, right? It's turned into meism and, and the cultism, right? So meism yeah. is you justify virtue signaling and the pretend morals of conformity. You know, people think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm conforming to the good. It's like, no, you're just praising your own cowardice for succumbing to groupthink, right? But... And this, this I made many, many years ago. This, this criticism of atheism is okay. Well, what are your rules? What are, what are your rules? Oh, be nice. Be, uh, come on, that's that's a bullshit rule. It doesn't mean anything. You know, it's it's like picking up a diet book for forty bucks, and inside it says, "Eat well." 
yeah, okay. <laughs> good, good job, everyone. That's really, really clear. Exercise and, and whatever. So, you know, what are the rules? Now, you go to a Catholic, you go to a Christian, you go to a Pentecostal, you go to a Baptist, you go anything outside of the Unitarian nonsense. And it's like, okay, they got rules, man. You got to do stuff. You got to be charitable. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to love your neighbors yourself. You've got to forgive. You all these, And these rules are tough, man. They're, they're yeah. very, they're, they're tough rules. They're hard. I mean, forgiveness, mm. man, I'm 54. I'm still figuring it out. I mean, it's hard rules. But it's that very hard rules that, you know, if you, if you need a guy to lift a car because it landed on your dog, you don't go to the guy who's working out with helium balloons. You go to the guy who's lifting, you know, 500 pounds. And if you want to be with someone who knows how to be good and knows that it's going to be tough and is able to forgive and knows that it's a hard and narrow path, I mean, yeah, you can't go, you can't, you can't do much better than Christianity, as far as I can tell. Right. Somewhat predictably, my sister is a atheist nihilist. Sure. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she always bags on Christians and like her, she just kept doing it. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm buying a Bible. So I bought the, the Bible just to piss her off. And, you know, it's, it's been very rewarding. Um, well, I mean, and of course she doesn't, uh, she doesn't talk about Islam. She doesn't talk about Judaism. She doesn't like none of mm. that stuff. Right. It's, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm such a moral hero because I'm attacking the people who are commanded to love their enemies. Oh, wow. Aren't you brave? Right. Aren't you brave? Yeah. hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. but as, if, if you have a good relationship with yourself, you will drive away bad people from you. They, they will just, they will flee you in droves. Because if you have a good relationship with yourself, you can't be manipulated. You can't really be bullied. I mean, there may be times where you have a tactical withdrawal in the big battle with the world and its evils. But if you have a good relationship with yourself, then bad people don't have much control over you. All they can do is frighten you, in which case you withdraw anyway, right? You know, they can't control you in that way. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, um, on the topic of forgiveness, I, I do have to leave at 11.30, but, oh, sorry, at 30 minutes past my time. Um, okay, sorry, forget the forgiveness thing, because um, what I do want to ask is if you have any thoughts about what you should do as I said, I would circle back on this, uh, what you would do with regards to the fellow you know who preys on kids. Right. Um, that, do you think I could call back another time as well? Um, well that'd I, feel, be right. I feel we could have another conversation easily, so <laughs> absolutely you're welcome to. Yeah. That. Okay, cool. Okay, so if you get um, that one, let's do the forgiveness thing because that other one is big. But yeah, you, you don't have to. It, his, it's his evil. But the question is, what can you live with? What can you live with? What can you live? I, I wasn't even thinking about him. I was actually thinking about my parents, like because I, I have forgiven them, but I don't know if it's be really been. Um, you know, I don't know if we've reckoned with what actually happened because I've we never really talked about our childhood, and you know, like my mom what, sort of gaslit made us any, about. Have they made any restitution? Well, they're both. You know, my, my mom changed suddenly. I don't know what it was, but she she just became like a happy hippie. And, um, you know, we never really, it didn't feel like we had a conclusion on that. Um, I don't know what you're talking about here, man. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm completely baffled. So, you, so told, yeah, you told your mom about the abuse you suffered. I don't just mean from the pedophile or the hebophile, but you, you told your mom about the 
uh, violence and brutality at her hands and lack of protection that you experienced as a child, right? No. So we never really confronted it. She just kind of like changed and then it's like, well, oh, oh, no, 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 like no. She's you, a different you person no, now. You can't forgive someone if they don't even know they've done wrong, right? Right. I mean, if, if somebody, yeah. if the government mailed you a pardon for a crime you, you didn't even know you'd committed, it wouldn't make any sense, right? Right. So, no, you, you got you to gotta tell her. Uh, I mean, this honesty, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. To be honest, you can't have a relationship without honesty. And being honest with your mom is, yeah, this happened. And you were in charge. And you, you failed me. And you half ruined me. And you right. got to know that. I mean, especially if you want to go and get pair bonded with a nice lady and have kids and all that. Holy shit. You can't let your kids around your mom if she doesn't even know what she did wrong. You can't have them. You can't have your kids anywhere near her. Can you? No, I wouldn't leave them with her. No, no. But even sure. you, because when you're around. Oh, God. Do you remember the guy in the mall who, who scared you and, and bullied you? And then your ex-girlfriend lost respect for you. What's going to happen with your kids if they see you? Lying and falsifying and being weird around your mom. Ha her having all the control, all the power, and silencing you. You'll lose mm -hmm. every authority. You know, one of the I can't have my mom in my life because I don't want to see my daughter. I don't want my daughter to see me around my mom because I can't just wave all that, you know, 35 years away. It's going to have a huge effect on me. She needs to see me as an authority. And if she sees me bending the truth and, and not interrupting my mom because I'm afraid she's going to blow up and not contradicting my mom, she sees me flake out, that's, that's terrible. I can't do that to her. My daughter, that is. Yeah, right. You can't, you can't say to your kids, tell the truth, and then lie to your mom by omission or commission, right? I mean, you can, but yeah. it's a disaster. And then your mom wins again, and you lose, and your kids lose. And God, don't, no, no, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. That's no good. It's not winning anything. Mm -hmm. So you got to tell your mom the truth. Tell, tell her the truth. Right. Tell her everything that happened. Tell her every, and your dad too. If it's safe, it's physically safe to do so, right? I mean, but yeah, tell them the truth, my God. Do you mean I mean, even the sexual abuse stuff? Even, especially. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, it's brutal, but isn't that one of the biggest truths that you've withheld from them? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how to begin crossing that bridge. Well, telling the truth is both very simple and very hard, right? Emotionally, it's hard. Physically, it's very simple. Just tell the truth. Mom, Dad, yeah. I've been holding something back from you, something that's uh, going to hurt you but it hurt me a lot more and you were in charge and you were responsible. And this is what happened. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's intense. It is, but it's their shame. Not it's their shame. And the guy who molested you, it's their shame, not yours. You understand? It's not your shame. Yes. You just survived. You just tried to survive. You were just right. trying to survive. An incredibly dangerous environment. I mean, if you'd have gone to the authorities, even if you'd gone to your parents and they'd gone to the authorities, my God, what might have happened to you as a child could be straight up killed. Yeah, definitely. Right, so you were put in a murder orbit with a creepy, dangerous child molester. You were sent over to sleepovers. My God, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's so 
outside the realm of anything sane or moral. But don't carry this as, as a you thing. It's not you. You're just trying to survive. You got you to gotta put all the shit where it, it's not shameful to you. You understand? There's no shame yeah. on you. There's no shame on you. Because you kind of did tell, you, you told your stepsister, right? Oh, I'm a, yeah. I'm a bisexual 12-year-old. Here's my book. Come on, you told. You tried. You tried to get some help, to get some protection, to get some security. Right? Yes. It's not, it's not on you. It's not on you. Don't take the evil that people do to you as besmirching your soul one tiny, tiny bit. Not a tiny, tiny bit. The evil that people do to you when you're a child is 150% on them and nothing on you. So, so if you feel shame, that's not rational. That's not healthy and it's not true. The shame is on the people who abuse children and allow that abuse to occur. Right. The shame is not on the victims and it's never on the children. So if you feel a hesitancy or a burden in telling your parents what happened to you as a child, which it was their job, their one job, most important job was to prevent anything like that from happening to you as a child, they completely fucking failed. And delivered you unto him to some degree. And he only preyed upon you because he knew that you wouldn't tell your parents. He knew that you weren't close to your parents. He knew that you had no one to go to. And that's on them. And right. so if you feel hesitancy, it's because you feel either that you're burdening them with something black and foul that's somehow attached to you. It's not attached to you. It's, not a t it's attached to the, the guy who did it and to the people who failed to protect you. It's not attached to you at all. You can throw that like a fucking baseball, like a big, flat, a big, fat, black baseball. You can just hurl that, and it doesn't stick to your hand, and there's no residue. It's not yours. It was evil that was done unto you under the very noses of the people whose job it was to protect you. It's their failure and his evil and their collusion. It's nothing to do with you. You have about as much responsibility of that as my daughter does to the national debt. So give it to them. It's theirs. And that's justice. That's fairness. That's truth. That's reality. It's their failure. It's their fault. And it's his evil, the man who molested you. But it's not you. My God. You are to be praised for surviving this without turning into a monster. You are to be praised for not paying this forward in a way that re-inflicts egregious harm on the innocent. But right. no, my God. Thank you. It's, it's their burden. It's their burden. Yeah. I mean, if a piece of mail came to you that was addressed to your mom, what would you do? Give it to her. <laughs> yeah, you'd give it to her. If somebody wrote a check to your mom but gave it to you, what would you do? Give it to her. You'd give it to her. If somebody mailed you medication that was going to save your mom's life, what would you do? Give it to her. Give it to her. It's all hers. Yeah. It's hers. Yeah. If you find something in your house, oh, this is my mom's. Okay, I'll, I'll give it to her. Right? 
You mm. give people what, what's theirs. That's property rights. And property rights extend to history and morality, even more so than a book or a pen. They own it. It's theirs. It's not yours. It went to the wrong address. They left it behind. Oops. You left your keys here. I'll bring them over. Oh, you left your phone here. I'll bring it over. It's not, I'm not going to keep it because it's not mine. I'm going to give you your stuff. Give you your history. Give you your choices. Give you the reality of your moral history. That's what I'm going to give you. The facts of what happened. Because somebody's got to carry this, man. Somebody's got to carry this. I don't care who it is fundamentally. I know it's not you. And who it should be is your parents. And then restitution from they say, oh, well, what do you want? What do you want us to do now? I'll tell you, mom and dad, I will tell you what I want you to do now. What I want you to do now is go and consult with a lawyer and pay for it and get me all the facts about what can be done legally now. That's what I want you to do. Because you will also be called as witnesses. Because, Dad, you remember when I was 22 or 23, you said to me, hey, what was that creepy guy? You Was he some kind of pedo? You knew. Like, you will be called as a witness. You will be called for suspicions. You will be called as to how I ended up in this situation. You'll be part of this. So you got to get the ball rolling. you got to pay the bills. you got to get the facts. That's what I want you to do. I want you to put some verbs in your empty apologies and actually go and do something about it. Oh, we don't want to. Okay, well. Then don't ask me what you want me to do. Don't ask me what you want to do for you. Right? Come on. Right. But it's not you, man. You're clear and pure as the driven snow. The evil. I Thanks. mean, people, people will always screw with kids and try and get the kids to, to take the stain away from them. That's why they do it. This guy's self-hatred, his self-contempt, his own abuse, his own history. He attempts to, to pass it on to you, to stain you with it, so he feels a little lighter and cleaner, just making himself more dirty. And the greatest terror that evildoers have is you say, oh, I'm sorry, you left this shit here. I, here it is. I'm sorry, you left, you left everything here. You, you, you left with me what is yours. I'm, I'm giving it back. I don't like to keep what's not mine. That's not fair. That's not right. If you left $1,000 at my house, I wouldn't go and spend it. It's not mine. I'd give, I would give it to you. I would give it to you. I don't keep what's not mine. That's stealing. Thou shalt not steal. You understand? <laughs> yeah. You don't steal responsibility from this child molester and your parents. You don't take what's not yours. That's a violation of thou shalt not steal. Is not giving to people the respect of the facts of their choices. Don't steal from your parents by pretending that it's on you what they did. That'd be like your dad buying a lottery ticket and you stealing it from it and cashing it from it. That would be stealing because he bought the lottery ticket. It's his. And your parents made the choices that they made. It's theirs. They made the choices. They reap the consequences. What you're trying to do is as meaningless as saying, oh, my uncle who smoked for 40 years and who got lung cancer, I'll take the lung cancer. 
<laughs> right? You can't do that. It's not reality. It's not how things work. Your parents need to have their stolen goods returned to them. And you've got to stop hoarding and stealing what isn't yours, which is what they did and didn't do. Wow, do you feel that's, me? That's funny. Yeah, because I've, I've actually stolen money from everyone in my life, basically. Because you were stolen <laughs> from. Poetic. Yeah, because you, you yeah. most people steal because they were stolen from, particularly as, as children. Right. But yeah, no, you, you return, you, you can do it gently, you can do it nicely, you can do it angrily, it doesn't really matter. But if you've ever lost something and had someone return it to you, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Yes. Right, so they've lost the reality of your history, and you're returning it to them. They've lost the reality of their choices, and you are simply returning it to them. You left this behind, it's in my house, it's not mine, it's yours, here you go. Okay. All right. I um I do have to bounce. I know you got to go. I know you got to go. And I yeah. said I was going to do a longer show, but uh, I'm not. This was quite a a show. And um, yes, I appreciate um, you. Yeah, I just... appreciate you calling. And listen, seriously, if there's anything that I can do to help uh, in terms of if you need money for a lawyer, if your parents won't do it or anything like that, just let me know. We'll we'll sort it out. Absolutely, completely, well, and totally. All right. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to call back again. Um, so yeah, stay thank in touch. You stay too. in touch. Absolutely, stay in touch, and uh, I'm sure we can sort something out. So, wow, long show. Thanks everyone so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Freedemand.com forward slash donate to help out. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I'm doing another. I'm going to do another live stream this weekend because that's just the kind of big chatty forehead that I am. So lots of love from up here, um, or down here if you're further up than here. Uh, you Inuit. So yeah. Lots of love from up here. Take care, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you soon.